Adult content intended for an adult audience only as this contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. The content of this story is purely fiction and not intended for anything but the enjoyment of the listener. If you do not agree with the themes listed in the tags, please do not listen to the story. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link in the comments to further support this author. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. Support us on Patreon to make requests for subjects you would love to hear. Thank you to those who have already reached out. The Time Machine by Cenathon Piper snuck into the dimly lit experimental quantum physics laboratory and, after checking to make sure no one was around, cautiously lifted an instrument from the far counter. Digital probe? She thought, as she tried to read the label in the dimness. Who the hell are they probing with this thing? A flash of light startled her, and she dropped the fragile instrument, wincing as it smashed on the hard floor. Peeking through the window behind her into the dark chamber where the flash had come from, Piper was surprised to see an old wooden wagon in the room. There was a dark shape bundled on the floor of the cart, and she took a step backward when she realized it was a man. Hey, security? She whispered into the phone. Yeah, it's me, Piper. I'm up in the fifth floor lab. Some homeless guy has snuck in here. Suddenly, the phone was snatched out of her hand and she saw the stranger towering over her. He was dressed in filthy, brown rags and his dark hair and beard were wild and unkempt. Security? He said into the phone. This is Professor Carl Gates. False alarm. The janitor didn't recognize me in the dark. As he hung up the phone, Piper stared at him in disbelief he was Professor Gates but no wonder she hadn't recognized him. When she'd seen him talking in his office with two women half an hour earlier, he'd been clean-shaven and wearing a shirt and tie. She peered closer, knowing it had to be a fake beard but amazed at how real it looked. And then she stepped on a piece of glass and noticed the shattered instrument by her foot. I am, accidentally broke your probe, she said. The professor picked it up. It's a digital strobe, not a probe. Well, whatever it is, I just picked it up and it doesn't matter, the professor said. It matters to me, and I'm going to pay. I don't care about the strobe, the professor shouted, and slammed the broken device down on the counter. Piper stepped back, startled by his violent outburst. He turned to look at her, and she could see the despair in his eyes. I'm sorry, he whispered. I shouldn't have done that. It's okay, Piper said, slowly backing away. I should be getting back to work anyways. I'll, uh, just lock the door on my way out. The professor watched as she turned to leave, but as she walked away an idea flickered in his head, turning the shadows of despair into a glimmer of hope. Wait, he cried. You've got to help me. Piper turned around and pointed a finger at her chest. Me? He hurried toward her and she backed away when he got too near. He stopped and held up his hands to reassure her. He knew he must have looked and sounded like a man-man, and the look in her eyes confirmed it. He took a deep breath and said, What I'm about to tell you is going to sound unbelievable, and you're going to think I'm crazy, but please let me finish before you say anything. I've invented a time machine, and I need you to come back in time with me to help rescue Professor Elizabeth Carr. Piper rolled her eyes. Ha ha, I get it. Real funny. Who put you up to this, the guys down in security? Are they watching me now? She said, looking for hidden cameras. The professor narrowed his eyebrows in confusion. 
Is who watching us? I don't know, you tell me. You're the one dressed up as Doc Brown, with the wild hair and the time machine, getting ready to take me back to the future. Who? You know, Doc Brown. Hello, McFly? The professor stared at her, completely bewildered. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm serious I have a time machine and I want you to come back in time with me. Piper crossed her arms. Fine, she'd play along with the practical joke. Okay, when do we leave? The professor blinked, surprised at how easily she was convinced. You believe me? You believe I can actually travel through time? Sure, she said sarcastically. Why? Is it dangerous? Are there dinosaurs? No. I mean, yes, there were dinosaurs, but we won't be traveling back that far. And while actual time travel is very safe, I just can't guarantee that the M times we travel to will be. Piper smiled and nodded, impressed at how convincing he made it all sound. And the professor rambled on. My assistant, Deidre Hopkins, and Professor Elizabeth Carr accompanied me on the maiden journey. Deidre was lost, and Professor Carr is stranded in the first century. I desperately need your help to rescue Betty. The dangers for both her and the time stream are incalculable if we don't bring her back to our time as soon as possible. Piper pretended that she was hanging on to his every word. As soon as he stopped talking, she said, Great! Where's the time machine? Let's go! The professor sighed in relief. For a second he thought she hadn't believed him. He led her back into the testing chamber and clambered onto the wooden cart. Kneeling, he glanced up at her and she could see the excitement in his eyes. And as he pulled the floor of the wooden cart back, a hidden, gold-plated console was revealed. As Piper stared at the polished controls and flashing indicators in wonder, the professor exclaimed, Behold, the time machine! She knew it was all a hoax, but she was amazed at how authentic the console looked. So, this thing can take us back in time right now? Yes, but there is one more thing I need your help with. And when I ask, please don't be offended. I assure you it's absolutely necessary. Okay, what is it? I know you're going to be offended when I ask. Please promise me you won't leave? I promise I won't leave. What is it? The professor took a deep breath. I need you to masturbate me first. As Piper stormed out of the chamber and strode across the lab, the professor raced after her. Please, you promise, don't leave, he said as he chased after her. It doesn't have to be me. I could get someone your own age if you prefer. But, of course, I need you to make them ejaculate with your mouth and there'd have to be more than one of them. Piper spun around, her mouth wide open in shock and a disgusted look on her face. Before he could say another word, she plugged her earbuds back in, switched on her music, and gave him the finger as she stomped out of the lab he intercepted her in the hallway and pulled out one of her earbuds. Please. I apologize. Look, I really do need your help, and I was an idiot to ask you what I did. You don't have to do anything, except promise me you'll wait for me here. I'll be back very soon, and I desperately need you to come back in time with me. Oh, you bet, she answered sarcastically. I'll make sure not to go anywhere. He ran off down the hallway and Piper, fighting back tears, was glad to see him go. She'd always thought Professor Gates was quiet, polite, and even cute in a nerdy way. 
But now she felt like an idiot for not realizing he was just like all the other professors, who assumed that because she was only a janitor she was young, dumb and easily filled with come a half hour later. Piper was waxing the floor at the far end of the wing when the professor returned, showered and shaved and accompanied by three drunken frat boys and a woman dressed like a hooker. Piper, I'm so relieved you're still here, he said. Please wait until we've finished in my office, and then I promise I'll show you what I said I would. One of the drunks leered at Piper. I'll show you mine too, baby. You coming to the party, sugar tits? The professor grabbed him by his shirt and glared at him. No, she won't be. And if you don't watch your mouth, either will you. The drunk went to slur an apology but was cut off by the professor, who steered the four of them into his office and closed the door. Piper had finished and was coiling the power cord around the floor waxer when she heard whooping and cheering from the office. She crept to the door, cracked it open an inch, and peeked in. Her jaw dropped when she saw the party going on inside. The woman was completely naked and bent over the back of the couch, sucking off the drunken frat boy standing behind it. His two friends had their pants down and were kneeling on either side of her as she stroked their cocks. And the professor, who removed his pants and neatly hung them over his office chair, was behind her hammering his cock in and out of her pussy. Piper ducked out of sight, but after a minute of listening to the moans and groans filling the office she couldn't resist sneaking another peek. The woman was sprawled on her back on the couch now, trying to take care of all four cocks at once. The professor was between her legs, stroking his pole into her sloppy hole. Seconds later, he groaned that he was going to come. Piper blinked in surprise as he quickly pulled out of the woman, slid a condom onto his cock and filled it with cum. As one of the drunks took his place between her legs, the professor carefully laid the full condom on his desk and came back with a beaker. He waited patiently watching the frat boy fuck her hard until he groaned that he was also going to come. The professor quickly kneeled beside him and held out the glass beaker. Make sure you ejaculate into this. The drunken student grunted as he stroked his cock and shot come into the container. As he milked the last few drops from his shaft, he said, Dude, you're not gonna drink that, are you? The professor went red with embarrassment. Of course not, he said, clearing his throat. This is strictly for scientific purposes. Yeah, right, Piper thought, as she ducked back behind the door. She listened as the other two frat boys took their turns fucking the worn-out woman and blew their loads in the beaker. Piper turned her head when she heard someone running away from the lab. She was looking to see who it was when the door opened behind her. She turned around and was startled to see the professor standing right in front of her, completely naked. She swallowed nervously as her eyes traveled down his toned chest and abs to his thick, hanging cock. She turned away in embarrassment. Damn, she thought. Aren't professors supposed to be skinny and not so fucking hung? Piper, who had just turned twenty, knew Professor Gates was old probably in his mid-thirties, but she could see why all his female students had crushes on him. The professor grabbed a lab coat and quickly pulled it on. I'm sorry I didn't intend for you to see me like that. I thought you were waiting in the other room. As he grabbed her hand and pulled her toward the lab, Piper saw he was holding the beaker full of semen. So, before you go back in time you wanted to, what? Have one last gangbang? And you're keeping that as a souvenir? The professor blushed as he answered. That woman is a professional escort, and the three students were, 
paid volunteers. There was nothing intimate about that encounter for myself. And you'll soon see that it was unavoidable. He entered the testing chamber, and as she followed him inside, he spun around to face her. Staring into her eyes, he asked, Are you still willing to travel through time with me? Piper nodded. She still didn't believe the time machine worked, but she was dying to see what he planned to do with all that come. Then I'll need your iPod, cell phone, ID card, and anything else that will seem out of place in the past. When she handed them over, the professor locked them in a cabinet with his own possessions. He walked over to the time machine, unscrewed a lid on the console, and carefully poured all of the semen he'd collected into the receptacle. I'm no scientist, Piper said. But why are you pouring cum on the time machine? The professor smiled. He knew how ridiculous it looked. I'm actually pouring it into the time reactor, and you're going to have to trust me when I tell you that it's absolutely essential. I can't explain the exact mechanics to you now, but the secret to time travel is locked within this vital fluid. The professor screwed the reactor lid shut and went through his mental checklist as he programmed the controls of the time machine. When everything was set, he stepped back and smiled at Piper. She could see the anticipation and excitement in his eyes. Are you ready? he asked. She nodded, and was surprised when he pulled her tightly against his body. As she looked up into his eyes and put her hand on his chest, he pressed a button on the console and they vanished in a bright flash of light. Piper blinked, trying to get rid of the spots dancing in front of her eyes as her retinas recovered from the intense flash. When they finally adjusted, she saw they were in a field of grass and the sun was rising. She could smell the cool, fresh morning dew. The professor still had his arm wrapped around her slim waist, and she pushed away from him as she tried to make sense of what had just happened. How could she be outside? How was it morning already? And then the realization dawned on her. Oh my god, she cried. You gave me the date rape drug. The professor laughed. Trust me when I tell you that I didn't drug you or rape you. We've just traveled to the past. But it's not possible, she said. You really expect me to believe we went through time, and this is where the university used to be? Of course we went back in time, the professor answered. But we're not where the university will be we're in Russia. While Piper wandered around the cart in stunned disbelief, he pulled some clothing out of a compartment and handed it to her. This was Deidre's, I think it will fit you. Piper scrunched her nose as she sniffed at the plain brown robe. You want me to wear this? Yes, we'd look very strange wearing 21st century clothing. Traveling in peasant clothing should allow us to move relatively unnoticed through the centuries. Piper shook her head. She still couldn't believe they'd gone back in time. Everything still looked the same. Is there going to be dinosaurs? She asked. The professor laughed out loud. I highly doubt it. I've checked the chronometer and we're in the year 1764. But I thought you wanted to go way farther back than that. Professor Carr is trapped in the first century where, I should point out, there still won't be any dinosaurs. But unfortunately, the time machine is incapable of jumping more than 100 years at a time. But didn't you just say we went back, like, 300 years? 250 years, to be precise. Apparently, the time jump actually starts 150 years in the past, as we were unable to journey to any year later than 1863. My theory is that this is some sort of time barrier, 
which prevents people from encountering themselves or any near relative during time travel. I actually thought we'd be in the year 1763. There must have been some problem with the reactor fuel. You mean the cum? She said. Specifically, the spermatozoa contained in the cum. I don't have time to explain it now, but there are many factors that influence the strength of the nuclear reaction and resulting time explosion. Anyways, we need to gather more reactor fuel as soon as possible. Piper crossed her arms and raised an eyebrow. When you say we, you better mean you. Can't you just jerk off into the reactor thingy? The time reactor would work if I masturbated into it, but the time jump would be relatively small. We would have to make nearly 200 jumps, which would take far too long and greatly increase the danger for both us and Professor Carr, and would be an awful lot of whacking off. Yes. Anyways, we need to get changed before someone comes along and discovers us. The professor moved to the far side of the cart, removed his lab coat, and changed into the worn peasant clothing. Piper pulled off her sweatshirt and yoga pants and was only wearing a bra and panties when she caught the professor peeking at her. Hey! She cried, trying to cover herself up. I'm sorry, he said. But you have to take those off too. Your underwear would seem very unusual if they were discovered. Piper hid behind the cart and pulled down her Hello Kitty panties, and the professor politely turned his back as she unhooked her bra. If he had been looking, he would have noticed how beautiful she looked as the early morning sunlight reflected off her iridescent, auburn hair and highlighted her full, round breasts. Lifting the robe above her nude body, she put her arms through the sleeves and pulled it down over her head. The robe was tight as she slid it over her chest and let it fall until its hem brushed against her bare feet. The professor put their clothes in a hidden compartment, checked the coordinates on the console, glanced up at the morning sun, and slid the cart's false floor in place to conceal the time machine. We need to head east, he said, and started pulling the cart. As they traveled along a path in the woods, Piper felt her senses reawaken after years of being buried in an urban sprawl. She drank in the fresh air like a forgotten fragrance, and closed her eyes to savor the music of the forest, as insects buzzed past and birds chirped in pursuit. And when she looked at the sky, she wasn't sure she'd ever seen that shade of blue in the city. Did we really go back in time? she asked. I'm not hypnotized or something? The professor smiled proudly. Yes, we've really gone back in time. But how is that even possible? Like I said earlier, I'd love to explain all of the mechanics of time travel to you, but I'm afraid it would take a very long time and even then, you probably still wouldn't understand how it worked. Is it like a flux capacitor or something? A what? You know, like in that movie. Piper bit her tongue, worried that if she kept talking she'd sound dumber than she already felt. Sorry, I don't watch a lot of movies, but I'll try to explain it as simply as I can. Essentially, time is like a tapestry, and if we can create an Einstein-Rosen bridge we— Wait, what's that? An Einstein-Rosen bridge? It's a no before that. What's a tapestry? The professor glanced at Piper to see if she was serious, and when he saw she was, he took a deep breath. I can see I'd better start over. Time is like a carpet that stretches back to the dawn of our universe, while the future is like a carpet waiting to be woven. Physicists have long theorized that if the carpet could be folded back so that it touches itself, one could travel between these two points essentially going back in time. 
and that is what my time machine does. It generates a time explosion that folds the carpet back and creates a wormhole. What about the future? Piper said. Can't you bend the carpet thingy forward to see what it's like? No. The reasons are varied, but basically we can only travel backward in time, never forward unless it's to return to our point of origin. Pointy what? Point of origin the place and time that we actually entered the time stream. After 24 hours without a jump the time machine will automatically return there. That's how I ended up back in my lab when you discovered me. Piper nodded, pretending to understand. Wait a second, how come we didn't appear naked, like in Terminator? Well, the reactor produces a time warp in the near proximity. Anyone and anything including clothing inside that proximity will be shifted through time. Like in the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Pardon? You know. Piper said and sank. Let's do the time warp again. He winced at her off-key rendition. I'm sorry, I don't spend a lot of my free time watching movies. Oh, uh, either do I. But what I really don't get is how you discovered you had to put, you know, spermatozoa in it. It's pronounced spermatozoa. There was an embarrassing but ultimately fortunate accident one night when I was working in my lab alone and unintentionally ejaculated on the time machine prototype. From that accident, I discovered that spermatozoa cells, like stem cells, had beneficial properties that had previously been unknown. Locked in these cells are what I call time nuclei, and the reactor splits these, just like in nuclear fission, to create a time explosion. Piper stared blankly at the professor. Everything he'd said had gone right over her head. But she was pretty sure he was telling her that the time machine ran on cum. So if you aren't going to jerk off, how do you plan on getting more time machine fuel? That's why I set the time machine to bring us here, to 18th century Russia. If my information is accurate, Yekaterina Alexeevna is in a town on the other side of these woods. Who? Catherine the Great. Who? The professor sighed. You really need to start reading more books and watching less movies. Catherine the Great was the Empress of Russia and one of its most renowned and historically significant leaders. Piper slowly nodded her head. Oh, yeah, I think I just watched a show about her on the History Channel. So, how does it help us if she's in this town? I intend to have intercourse with her. Piper laughed out loud. Are you kidding me? You think you can just get an audience with the Queen of Russia, and then ask her if you can screw her? Wouldn't it be easier to find a farm girl and a haystack? Probably, but like I said earlier, the time jump would be too small. We need to make the largest possible time jumps so we can get back to the first century as quickly as we can. And for large time jumps, we need famous people. Piper was perplexed. What does it matter if they're famous or not? We discovered accidentally that the more historically significant the person is, or will be, has a direct correlation to the quality of the time nuclei. We were in 18th century France when Professor Carr went into a village to collect material for the time machine. When she returned, we put it into the reactor and discovered that the semen was twice as potent as any we had previously used. We went back to the village to investigate, and discovered that the young lieutenant who had bedded her was none other than the future Emperor Napoleon. Oh, I just watched a documentary on him too, Piper said. But he was famous, you're not. What difference does it make how or where you come? Again, it's very difficult to explain. 
but it's related to the point of conception. Piper's jaw dropped. You're going to get the queen pregnant? No, the point of conception, not actual conception. Professor Carr, through exhaustive research, discovered that the semen she gathered through oral manipulation was more potent than any gathered through manual manipulation. And semen gathered through actual intercourse was the most potent of all. Wow, sounds like she really liked doing research. Yes. She did. Needless to say, the most potent material is that produced through sexual intercourse between two historically significant people. So the fastest way for us to go back through time is for me to attempt to copulate with as many famous women as I can which, I fear, may be more difficult than it sounds. Oh, don't worry, Piper said. It sounds plenty difficult. But you said two famous people. You aren't famous, are you? Not yet, but if the time machine's readings of my semen are any indication, I will be. Piper crossed her arms and looked him up and down skeptically. Well, I still don't think you've got a chance. If I was you, I'd keep looking for bow-legged farm girls. The professor sighed. Look, this isn't easy for me either. Let's just say, sex isn't one of my strong points. Yeah, right. Piper thought, remembering the escort's cries of pleasure as he hammered her on his office couch. He continued. Professor Carr took it upon herself as a historical scholar to enter villages and towns to gather material for the time machine. She was very good at collecting and often brought back more material than we could even use. There was no need for Deidre or myself to be involved. Other than the recent encounter in my office and the initial accident, this will be my first contribution to the time reactor. Piper arched an eyebrow and said, Well, don't expect me to go looking for any contributions. Of course not, he said, as they exited the woods and saw a village in the distance. You have to stay here and guard the time machine. Piper waited by the cart, while the few weary-looking villagers who passed her on the path minded their own business. Twilight was fading when the professor finally returned. Well, did you get to see the queen? she asked. Not even close, the professor answered. I tried to talk to the guards at the main gate, but didn't realize how rusty my Russian is. I could barely understand them, but they made it pretty clear that, if I didn't leave, the only part of the castle I would be seeing was the dungeon. So that's it, Piper said. We went back in time and all I got to see was trees? Not quite, the professor said, and pulled a knotted condom, full of semen, out of his pocket. We're not going back yet. Gross. Is that yours? Or some other guy's? Mine, of course. I didn't get in to see the Empress, but fortunately for us she wasn't the only woman in the village. So, a farm girl? I wish. I stopped at an inn to buy us some food and was approached by a woman of ill repute. Piper made a disgusted face and said, You screwed a three-hundred-year-old hooker? You, good thing you wore a rubber. Unfortunately, I didn't put on the condom until after we had intercourse. Um, doesn't that sort of defeat the purpose? For our purposes? No. Professor Card discovered through her thorough research that any type of barrier between the two subjects seems to inhibit the time nuclei. She approached three young shepherds on a hill one day and, when she discovered they had sheepskin condoms, had them wear them while she masturbated them. We were quite disappointed when we put the material in the time reactor and found it completely inert. We also, 
as she often collected more than we needed, tried to save the semen for future time jumps, but time travel also seems to render the time nuclei inert. Wow, Piper said. Sounds like Professor Carr was quite the cum collector. I can see why you need to rescue her so bad. What about your assistant? Aren't we going to rescue her too? The professor fell silent. He looked up at the stars, and when he looked back at Piper she could see tears welling in his eyes. I'm afraid that Dieter died. Piper's eyes went wide with shock. Died? I thought you said she was lost. You told me time travel wasn't dangerous. It isn't. It's completely safe. Deidre's death was a terrible accident. What do you mean? How did she die? I really don't want to discuss it. The memory is still very painful. He said, wiping his eye with his sleeve. But I promise you, I won't let the same thing happen to you, Piper. He slid back the false wooden floor and adjusted the reactor's time controls. Turning toward Piper, he said, I just need to make sure you're in the proximity. And pulled her tightly against him as he pressed the button. Piper tried to blink the spots away from in front of her eyes, wishing she'd remembered to shut them. She looked around the grove of trees they were in and bent down to pick up one of the golden maple leaves littering the forest floor. Are we in Canada? She asked. The professor checked the time machine's readouts. No, we're in Pennsylvania, in the year 1724. So let me guess you're going to go find the Queen of Pennsylvania? The professor raised an eyebrow. There's no royalty around here, and I doubt there's anyone famous either. So, who's supposed to help you make goo for the time machine? Piper noticed the professor glancing at her. She knew the look in his eye. Oh, no dot don't even think about it. There's no way I'm helping. Get you off. If that's what you wanted, you should have brought that hooker instead. I didn't realize how difficult it would be for me to find famous women or, for that matter, any women to help me. Professor Carr made it seem so easy. It would make things so much easier if you just let me. Piper crossed her arms in front of her. No. Way. The professor sighed. He knew his only hope was to find a whorehouse. He left Piper by the cart and headed off down the path in search of the nearest town. As soon as he was out of sight, she followed. She had no intention of spending her time journeying through history guarding the time machine. When she caught up to the professor, while still making sure to stay out of sight, he was talking to an old, gray-bearded farmer and trying to get directions to the nearest town. Piper watched as the farmer shook his head and signaled for the professor to wait, while he went into his small log house. When he came back out a young woman— who appeared to be his daughter and was probably no older than nineteen, accompanied him. The girl had wispy blonde hair tied up under a white bonnet and a white apron over her dark dress. The professor nodded at her in greeting, but she kept her head down and didn't make eye contact. Piper was too far away to make out the conversation clearly, but thought the farmer was trying to convince the professor to have his daughter lead him to town. At first he politely refused— but when the farmer kept insisting he finally relented. The two men shook hands, and Piper watched as the professor led the young girl down the path away from the small farm that was her home. They hadn't gone far when the professor pulled her to the side of the path by a large oak tree. Piper moved closer, trying to see what they were doing, and was shocked when she realized the professor had pulled his cock out and was wrapping the young girl's hand around it. 
He looked both ways down the path to make sure no one was coming as the girl, who kept her head down the whole time, obediently stroked his shaft hard. After no more than a minute, he had her turn around, bending her over as she leaned against the trunk of the oak tree. Piper snuck closer trying to get a better view, and watched as he bunched the girl's dark dress up around her waist. She didn't have anything on underneath, and he held her hip as he lined himself up with her hole. The girl glanced back over her shoulder, gently biting her lower lip as she waited for him, and moaned as he slid his cock into her pussy. Once he was completely inside he leaned over and whispered something to her. When she nodded, he started to pump his cock in and out of her with long, slow strokes. The girl was slumped against the tree trunk as he fucked her, and even from far away Piper could tell she was enjoying every second of it. She braced herself against the tree trunk and started humping her pale ass back against the professor, impaling herself on his pole. And as he picked up the pace, hammering his thick cock between her legs, her moans echoed through the trees. There was a movement to Piper's right and she spotted the old farmer sneaking down the trail, heading toward the sounds of fucking. She was just about to shout a warning to the professor when the farmer stopped, hidden behind a nearby tree. He obviously had no qualms about the professor fucking the girl, as he pulled his pecker out and tugged it while he watched them. The professor held the young girl by her shoulders as he slammed his swollen shaft in and out of her. Piper could hear her tiny ass slapping against the professor's hips as he pounded away. Finally, he pulled out of her and whipped a condom onto his cock, groaning as he filled it with cum the girl wrapped her arms around him and kept kissing him while he tried to pull his pants up. Piper checked down the path and saw the farmer, who'd shot his load while watching them, also tucking himself back into his pants. The professor was apologizing to the girl, who was pleading with him to take her with him, when he spotted Piper peeking out from behind the log. He finally convinced the girl she couldn't come with him, and sent her reluctantly walking back home. Neither of them had noticed the old farmer who had quickly retreated back the way he had come. Once the girl was out of sight, the professor headed to Piper's hiding spot. What the hell are you doing? He said. I told you to stay with the time machine. What the hell are you doing? Imagine if that farmer caught you fucking his daughter. The professor gave her a puzzled look. His daughter? That was his wife. His wife? That's sick. She's only twenty and he's like a hundred. She's actually eighteen and the daughter of a neighbor a quite common arrangement for these times. I told him I was heading to town to find a prostitute. And he insisted that I pay him and use his young wife instead. He should have paid you, Piper said. I think he enjoyed it more than you did. The professor, embarrassed to learn that both Piper and the farmer had watched him fuck the young blonde farm girl didn't say a word as they headed back to the time machine. He was relieved to find it safe and sound where they'd left it. You have to listen to me and stay with the time machine, he said. If someone finds the cart and decides they need it more than we do, we're in big trouble. We'll be trapped here forever if the time machine reverts back to its point of origin without us. Well, I didn't come back in time just to guard a cart while you get your rocks off. I thought I'd be meeting famous people and seeing the pyramids and stuff. The professor threw up his arms in frustration. It's a time machine, not a round-the-world cruise. I'm trying to get back to rescue Professor Carr, and seeing as how you refuse to help me out, you're stuck guarding the time machine while I find women who will. So that's why you brought me back in time?
You thought you could bend me over against a tree and fuck me like that farm girl? Is that it? Ignoring her, the professor opened the reactor, poured the pale fluid inside and screwed the lid shut. When he was finished he leaned against the cart and looked at Piper. That's not why I asked you to come. Then why? Why asked me? I'm only a janitor. He stepped close to her and held her by her shoulders. Piper, I'd be lying if I told you the fact that you're young and beautiful didn't influence my decision to bring you along. But you're not just a janitor. I've watched you as you've cleaned my lab, my office. I've seen the way you look at the instruments, the wonder in your eyes. I know that look. I've seen it in my students' eyes. I saw it in Deidre's eyes. You've got a hunger for knowledge, a thirst for the unknown. And to me, that's more valuable than any college degree. But the main reason I asked you was because I knew you'd say yes. Piper stared at him, speechless. And when he reached out and pulled her near, she closed her eyes as he pushed the button. Piper opened her eyes and heard the bleeding of sheep. A flock grazed nearby on the hillside they'd appeared on. She followed the professor to the top of the hill and saw a valley on the other side, with a small village beside a river. Are we still in Pennsylvania? she asked. No, we're in Lincolnshire, England. In the year 1684, he said. And there's some famous chick that lives in that village? No. A famous man. Oh my God! You're going to screw a... The professor cut her off. No, I'm not. This is the home of the genius that is both my hero and inspiration, Sir Isaac Newton. And before you ask, no, he did not invent the fig Newton. Ha ha. I saw a show, I mean, I read a book about him. He's the guy that got hit on the head with an apple. So the story goes. Anyways, I never had the opportunity to meet him the last time I was here, so I'm determined to do it now. Um, do we really have time for this? Shouldn't you be, you know, making fuel for the time machine? We have at least 24 hours before the time machine reverts to its point of origin and travels back to our time. I just want to see if I can meet him, and then we'll find a woman I can pay to assist me. Piper held her hand up to shield her eyes from the sun as she surveyed the town below. You think there's a whorehouse in that little village? If there isn't, I'll take care of it myself. Don't worry, I'll come up with material. They hid the cart in a small copse of trees, and on their way into the village the professor spotted the home of a seamstress and bought more appropriate clothing for the two of them, paying with counterfeit silver shillings he'd brought along. When they reached Woolsaint Horp Manor, Newton's birthplace and home, the footman at the door refused to let them in. The professor had read that Newton was notoriously cantankerous with visitors, but pleaded his case as a visiting scholar from the American colonies. While he argued, Piper stepped back to get a better view of the manor house and noticed she was being watched from the upper window. Moments later, a well-dressed man in his early forties came down the stairs and instructed the footman to let them in. The professor instantly recognized him from his portrait and bowed. It's an honor to meet you, Sir Isaac. Newton scoffed at him. Sir, do I look like a knight to you? Your ignorance shows that you obviously are from the colonies. The professor burned with embarrassment when he realized his slip Newton wouldn't receive his knighthood until nearly twenty years in the future. But Newton's demeanor completely changed when he introduced himself to Piper. She blushed when he took her hand, bowed down, 
lightly kissed her knuckles and told her she was the most beautiful woman he'd ever laid eyes on. After the introductions were completed, with the professor and Piper posing as siblings, Newton invited them in for dinner and tea. Piper knew Newton was a famous scientist, but she'd always pictured him as an old man with a white wig. The real man was nothing like she'd imagined. He had strong, handsome features and eyes that watched her with a burning intensity. He couldn't stop looking at her, and she couldn't stop staring at him. He was the most famous person she'd ever met. Oblivious to their flirting, the professor talked nonstop about how he admired Newton's writings, while making sure to remember not to mention any works that hadn't been written yet. Annoyed by the professor's fawning, and looking for an opportunity to be alone with Piper, Newton offered to let him browse through his personal library. This is an unbelievable opportunity, the professor whispered to Piper. The papers in his library may be the beginnings of the Principia Mathematica. Is there any possible way you could keep him busy for a while? Piper smiled. Um, yeah, I don't think that's going to be a problem. While the professor went to the library, Newton took Piper for a walk in his garden. She could tell that he was enamored with her but she could also tell he was really shy, maybe even a virgin. As they walked, Newton pointed out different plants to her, stealing a glance every time she looked away. When she caught him looking, she gave him a warm smile that he nervously cleared his throat, and said, I've never met a woman like you, Piper. You're like a creature out of time, a free spirit such as I have never met. Would it be possible if properly chaperoned, of course that I might see you again? and that maybe on our next walk I might hold your hand? She leaned back against a tree and smiled at him. You can hold my hand now. Newton reached for it, and was shocked when she pulled him close and softly pressed her lips against his dot as they embraced in the leafy shadows of the tree. Piper felt him growing hard against her hip. She'd never met anyone as famous as him, and wondered how big a jump his come would take the time machine dot if he'd been surprised when she kissed him. He was stunned when he felt her hand rubbing him through his breeches. Oh, Piper, your boldness is intoxicating, he whispered. But what if your brother discovers us? Piper smiled, thinking that the professor was probably wishing that he were the one alone in the garden with Newton. But she only said, he won't mind. She smiled shyly as she lifted the front of her dress, and Newton thought his heart was going to stop when she lifted her petticoats, and he saw she wasn't wearing a shift but he nearly had a stroke when she started to unbutton his pants. And then Piper, completely ignorant of 17th century dating customs, pushed his pants down around his knees and guided his stiff cock toward her wet, waiting pussy. Newton had never been with a woman, but instinct took over. He pumped and pumped into Piper while pinning her against the tree. She wrapped her hands around his neck to hold on and begged him to fuck her faster. Newton couldn't believe her forthrightness but did as instructed. And as he banged her back and forth against the tree, an apple shook loose and felt that he spotted it, and the scientist in him wondered aloud. Why do they always fall straight down? Un, I don't know. She moaned, thinking he was asking her a question. Gravity? Newton's mind reeled. He was in a state of euphoria as he filled Piper's pussy with cum, but all he could think of was that one word gravity. Oh, shit! Piper cried, as she pushed him away and used her hand to try to keep his cum from leaking out between her legs. She gingerly tiptoed back to the garden table, 
dumped out her tea and squatted while Newton's load leaked out into the teacup that he was dumbfounded as he watched her. I'm sorry if I've offended you, Piper. I was swept away by your passion. I promise you that if you find yourself with child I will marry you and care for both you and our baby. Yeah, she said. I'm not sure how that'd work out. Piper straightened her dress and headed back inside, where she found the professor rifling through papers in the library. She excitedly showed him the teacup, but he was appalled when he saw its contents. Glaring at Piper, he threw the papers down on the desk and angrily whispered, When I told you to keep him busy, I didn't mean by spreading your legs. You and Professor Carr are going to get along well. Piper was stunned by both the outburst and the accusation. I was just trying to help. You keep telling me how important it is for us to take big-time jumps. She whispered. And we're not going to get anywhere with you fucking hookers and farmers' wives. The professor didn't say a word. He just simmered with anger as he stared at her and then at the teacup. Snatching it up, he hissed. We're leaving! And headed out the door. Newton watched as the two of them disappeared down the walkway. He knew by the professor's sullen disposition that he'd somehow discovered what had happened in the garden. Newton was ashamed of his actions, but knew that Piper had inspired him like no other. He would have either passion nor weakness for a woman again. None would ever equal her. Piper chased after the professor as he stormed over the rise ahead of them. I'm sorry, I didn't know you'd be so mad. The cart was still safely hidden in the small copse where they'd left it. When the professor poured the teacup's contents into the reactor, he read the gauge and slammed the side of the cart in frustration. You idiot! You took him past the point of conception, he said. Oh my god! Piper whispered. I'm pregnant? No, you're not pregnant, but you didn't make him pull out when he ejaculated. If you let him release inside you, the time nuclei are rendered inert. Oh, well, I didn't know doubt I thought I was helping. Well, you weren't, he said, cutting her off. In future, let me worry about fueling the reactor. The professor slammed the false floor into place, concealing the time machine. I have to go find a prostitute, try to stay with the cart, and try to keep your legs closed until I get back. Piper wiped her tears with her sleeve as she waited alone in the dark, still stinging from the professor's bitter, hurtful words. When she finally heard him return, Clumsily feeling his way back through the pitch-black woods, she called out to him so he could find his way back to her, and the wagon dot he pulled the hidden panel back, slamming it against the side of the cart. The lights from the console on the time machine illuminated his face, and Piper could see that he was still fuming. As he unscrewed the lid to the time reactor, Piper said, I want to go back. He stopped, the lid half undone. Without looking up, he said, What are you talking about? I want to go back, to my own time. He took a deep breath and said, Well, you can't, we can't. I'm taking this time machine back to rescue Professor Carr. And if you're not near when I push the button, you can stay in the 17th century. I'm sure Sir Isaac can find a bed for you. The professor filled the time reactor and twisted the lid back into place. He adjusted the controls for the next jump, and as he glanced up he saw Piper standing away from the cart, arms crossed as she sullenly watched him. You'll be glad to know, he said, that because of your screw-up I was forced to find the only thing close to a prostitute in the village. 
a one-legged ex-whore who asked me to stick it in her arsehole as she thought her other hole might have the itch dot. Piper uncrossed her arms and squeezed her hands together. Taking a step closer, she swallowed and said, I'm sorry, like I said, I didn't know. He didn't say a word. He just continued to make the final adjustments to the time machine. She moved to get closer to him like the earlier time jumps, but this time he didn't pull her near, he just pushed the button. Things didn't get any better on the other side of the time warp. Because of the poor quality of the fuel, the reactor only jumped them 27 years. Piper waited as instructed at the cart, while the professor went in search of another whorehouse. He succeeded and soon returned with better material. As he was filling the reactor, Piper couldn't hold back the tears any longer. I don't know why you're so mad at me, she cried. It's not like I screwed up on purpose, I was just trying to help. The professor stopped what he was doing, turned to Piper, and wiped a tear from her cheek. You're right. You didn't screw up, I did. I had no right to say the things I said, and you don't deserve to be treated the way I've treated you. I've just been incredibly frustrated that the time jumps have been so short. And after losing Deidre, I'm afraid of what the consequences might be if we're too late to save Professor Carr. However, that's still no excuse for the way I've acted. I'm sorry, and if you still want to go back, we'll go back. Piper sniffed and wiped her tears with her sleeve. No, she whispered. I want to go with you. She stepped closer and hugged herself against him, and waited for him to push the button. They appeared in a grassy glade with a hill on the far side. After concealing the console on the time machine, the professor told Piper he was going to go climb it and take a look. Are we back in the States? she asked. No, we're still in England. And are there Indians in England? Indians? You mean Native Americans? Not in 1617 England. Why do you ask? Because that girl watching us looks like one. The professor was startled to see a beautiful, dark-haired girl staring at them from the near side of the glade. She must have seen them appear. The professor was alarmed, expecting her to run away in fear, but was surprised to see her wander through the tall grass toward them. When she neared, he could see there was no fear in her eyes only curiosity. She walked up and lightly touched Piper's shoulder, as if to make sure she was real, and said, Has Machabo sent you with the light to take me home? The professor blinked in surprise he knew the name, but had never expected to hear it here. Machabo, the Algonquin creation deity? Who are you? The name they call me is Rebecca Rolf, she said. The professor silently repeated the name, hoping the feel of it on his lips would jog his memory. And when he looked up at the dark-eyed girl, astonished, Piper knew he'd remembered the name. It. It's not possible, he said, as the native girl wandered around the cart, running her hand along the polished wood. Who is she? Piper whispered. A famous inventor or something? You'd know her better by her other name Pocahontas. Piper's eyes lit up. Oh my God! I loved your movie! She cried and hugged the surprised Indian princess tightly, not letting go until the professor pried her loose dot he led Piper far enough away that they couldn't be heard. I'm afraid that the real Pocahontas is a far cry from the fictional version. If my memory serves me correctly, she'll soon die. No, that's not right, Piper said. 
I've seen the movies both of them her and John Smith lived happily ever after. Yes, I've seen the movies too and it's actually John Rolfe that she lived happily ever after with that's why she gave her name as Rebecca Rolfe. But unfortunately for her, there won't be a happily ever after. She'll soon board a ship back to the new world, but will never complete the voyage. Some said she died from smallpox or pneumonia. I always imagined that she was so homesick she simply lost the will to live. Piper gasped and clapped her hand to her mouth. Oh no! We have to take her back to her home with the time machine. We can't, the professor whispered. And please keep your voice down. If we took her anywhere in the time machine she'd eventually revert to her point of origin here. And I don't even want to think of the possible implications of her or any others we meet discovering that time travel actually exists. Trying to help her could put all of our lives in jeopardy. But going around screwing famous people is okay? The so-called butterfly effect would only result from a significant change to the pattern of history. Say, killing William the Conqueror, or revealing the secret of time travel. Millions of people have sex every day, so I doubt that one sexual encounter could be significant enough to change history. Well, what if you got the virgin queen pregnant or something? I highly doubt that Queen Elizabeth I was a virgin. She was called the virgin queen because she chose not to marry and there is zero chance of my getting her, or anyone we meet, pregnant. Conception isn't possible between time travelers and the people they encounter in the time stream. Professor Carr tested that theory exhaustively. If any time traveler would have gotten pregnant it definitely would have been her. Pocahontas bent over to pick a flower in the glade, and when Piper saw the way the professor stared at her she started to shake her head. Oh no. No way. Don't even think you're going to have sex with her, I won't allow it. The professor, trying to get her to keep her voice down, whispered, Piper, I'm thrilled that you've met one of your historical heroes. But it seems senseless, if I have the chance, to pass on any opportunity to have her help me fuel the time machine. The semen she helps me produce could send us back eighty years. Piper gave him an icy stare. If you touch her, I'll tear your prick off and send it back eighty years all by itself. For the next few hours, the professor waited quietly by a tree while Piper and Pocahontas talked. When she finally had to leave, she stood to go and wished them well. Piper watched as she walked into the twilight and then turned to the professor, eyes red from crying, and hugged him. They slept in the cart, huddled together for warmth. When they awoke at dawn, the professor said they needed to make a small jump just to make sure they didn't unintentionally return back to their own time. A small jump? she asked. How do we do that? I'll simply masturbate and we'll use that to fuel the reactor. Well, after you were such a gentleman with Pocahontas, the least I can do is help. The professor was surprised she changed her mind and had finally agreed to lend a hand. That's wonderful. Thank you, Piper. You know, if you'd actually be willing to give me a... Do you have another condom? she interrupted. No, I actually ran out he said, as he started to undo his pants. Professor Carr used up most of our inventory and I forgot to bring more, but if you just, there's one now. Piper cried and jumped off the cart and ran towards the road. The professor watched in stunned silence as a horse-drawn haycart came over the rise. Piper ran to the road and talked to the driver, who reached down and pulled her up on the seat beside him. 
They talked for a few minutes, and he could see Piper leaning close to the young farmer. It took him a second to realize she was actually giving him a hand job. The professor pretended to be watching a bird in the opposite direction, and only turned around when he heard Piper returning. She proudly held out her cupped hands, filled with the farmer's cum, and the professor gave her an appreciative smile. That's excellent, Piper, he said, as he opened the reactor and had her pour it in. But the reaction created by the contents are cumulative, so it still makes sense for me to add my own fluid. Oh, of course, Piper said. The professor climbed on the cart, kneeled near the open reactor and started to undo his pants. Would you mind? Um, of course not, she said and turned her back. The professor masturbated silently, too embarrassed to let her know that he'd been about to ask her to give him a hand job too. Strictly for scientific purposes, of course as he knew cum produced by another's hand had proven to be twice as potent as material produced by masturbation. She didn't even know he'd finished until he pulled her back against him and pushed the button. Piper opened her eyes and they were in the yard of an abandoned farmhouse. Where or when are we now? she said. We're outside of Rome in the year 1597. I had actually hoped to go even farther back to try to meet Lucrezia Borgia and see if the legends about her sexual appetite were accurate, but this will have to do. Uh Uh-huh, Piper said, trying not to let on that she had no clue who he was talking about. But what if people still lived on this farm and saw us? That's another impressive quality of the time machine. When it creates a time warp it can detect the presence of life human life on the other side and only opens warps to locations where no one is near. Then how did Pocahontas see us? I actually have no idea. The time machine should have detected her presence. The only thing that shocked me more than her seeing us appear was learning who she was. The odds of our randomly meeting someone as historically noteworthy as her are about the same as winning the lottery. It's definitely something that bears further investigation. So what now? Whorehouse? Or is there someone famous nearby? We've got no way of telling if there is anyone famous or destined to be famous nearby. We'll have to look for a bordello, and this time I want you to travel with me. Sixteenth century Rome is no place for a young woman to be alone. What about the time machine? This farm is littered with abandoned carts, so I'm hoping it'll be fine. I'm more worried about keeping you safe. That's sweet, she said, smiling. But I'm still not going in the whorehouse. When the professor finally convinced her to enter the bordello, it wasn't anything like Piper expected, as the insides seemed more like a tavern or inn. They sat down at a table and adjusted their seventeenth-century clothing, trying to blend in. A serving maid brought them a loaf of bread and a jug of wine. Noticing a ruffian angrily arguing with a noble on the far side of the room, the professor, in poor Italian, asked who they were. He'd hoped the noble might be someone famous. He was surprised at her answer. The professor leaned close and whispered to Piper. See that scoundrel on the far side of the bar, arguing with the nobleman? The what? The scoundrel, the jerk, yelling at the rich-looking guy. Oh, yeah, what about him? Is he famous? He is or will be. His name is Michelangelo Marisi. Piper gasped. I saw a Discovery Channel show on the Sistine Chapel. Its ceiling is beautiful. Not that Michelangelo. This one is better known as Caravaggio. Well, not that I don't want to help out, but you should ask the waitress if you can order a hooker.
He looks kind of violent. You don't need to worry, as I don't think he'll be much help to us he was homosexual. Gay? He looks too mean to be gay, Piper said, as she watched Caravaggio run the nobleman out of the tavern. But if you did get his help with your fuel, would that even work? It's never been put to the test, and I know I personally won't be the one finding out if it does or doesn't. Let's see if the serving maid can find me a girl. The professor was just about to flag her down when he spotted Caravaggio, who had noticed them staring at him, heading their way. He spoke quickly to them in Italian, and the professor, who had a hard time understanding him because he spoke so fast, said, I think he's asking where we're from. Oh, Piper answered. We're American. You idiot, the professor whispered. America won't even be settled until the next century. He apologized to Caravaggio, explaining that Piper was a little drunk, and told him they were English. Caravaggio laughed loudly and spoke passionately to Piper. What's he saying? She said. The professor translated. He says that you are very beautiful, and he wants to know if he can sketch you. Wow. Won't that be worth, like, a ton of money to a museum? I'm sure it would be, but only if we bury it and dig it up 400 years from now. We can't take anything forward in the time machine unless it's from the future, like us. The sketch would simply remain behind here, in its own time. Damn. Well, tell him he can still sketch me she said, starting to feel a little tipsy from the wine. Too bad he's gay. He's actually kind of cute in a criminal sort of way. Once they'd agreed to the sketch, Caravaggio called to a pretty, olive-skinned girl on the far side of the room who brought over two jugs of wine. He put his arm around her and headed upstairs, gesturing for them to follow. He's bringing a waitress to serve us, Piper asked. Apparently, the rumors of his preference for men have been greatly exaggerated, the professor said. She's his girlfriend. The four of them went upstairs to Caravaggio's studio, where he had Piper recline on a pile of pillows in the center of the room. The professor and Caravaggio's girlfriend, Juliana, sat on a sofa and drank wine while they watched Caravaggio sketch Piper. Caravaggio had drawn for about an hour, and the four of them had drunk nearly all the wine when he walked over and talked quietly to the professor. What's he saying? Piper said. He wants to know if you can take off your clothes, he wants to sketch you nude. The professor said, feeling lightheaded from the wine. Piper was already half drunk, and smiled at Caravaggio. Well, why doesn't he ask me then? Because I told him earlier that you were my wife, and he wants my permission. Piper gave the professor a sly smile. And what did you tell him I do, darling husband? I told him you'd take your clothes off. Piper wasn't normally shy, and was feeling even less so from the wine, but she still felt awkward undressing while three pairs of eyes burned into her. She tossed her clothes aside and leaned back on the pillows, while Caravaggio and Juliana whispered to each other and tried not to laugh. Piper quickly covered her breasts. What is it? Why are they laughing at me? They'd never seen a woman your age without hair, down there, said the professor. Oh. Piper blushed and covered her neatly trimmed pussy with her hand, but Caravaggio walked over and gently removed it so he could continue sketching her. The professor couldn't keep his eyes off Piper she was stunning. Her copper-brown hair framed her face beautifully, and as his eyes wandered from her full breast to the soft curves of her hips he thought she was perfect. 
He leaned a little to his left to try to sneak a peek between her legs, thinking it was getting very warm in the studio, when he felt a gentle touch at his waist. Juliana flashed her dark eyes at him, and slid her fingers down the front of his pants, sighing in pleasure when she wrapped her hand around his cock and felt how stiff he was. It was obvious that he was getting aroused by the sight of Piper sprawled naked on the pillows in front of him, and Juliana just figured she'd add to his enjoyment. The professor swallowed nervously. He'd read of Caravaggio's intense jealousy and murderous rage. He could only imagine his reaction if he discovered his girlfriend's hand crammed down the front of his pants. He was whispering for her to let go and urgently trying to pull her arm away when she called out to Caravaggio. The professor froze in fear, but her boyfriend only glanced their way, smiled when he saw what was happening and gave the professor a nod of approval. Piper, on the other hand, was open-mouthed as she watched in surprise while Juliana pressed herself against the professor, their lips locked together, as she pushed his pants down to free his cock. She was still watching the action on the couch when Caravaggio abandoned his sketch, crossed the room and got down on all fours between her open legs. Piper let out a soft gasp as he kissed her instep, her calf and then the inside of her thigh. She'd never seen eyes like Caravaggio's. They smoldered as he watched her awaiting her command. She gave him a subtle nod and he bent forward and gently kissed the softness between her legs. The wine was making her head swim, so she stretched out on the pillows as Caravaggio devoured her, and moaned as she felt his tongue tease her tender pussy and dip deeper in search of her clit. And as she tilted her head back and looked toward the couch, she watched as Juliana pumped her slender hand up and down the professor's thick cock. The professor leaned back as Juliana stroked his cock and planted soft kisses on his neck and ear, whispering to him in Italian how she wanted to watch him come. But he knew he couldn't waste this opportunity. He pulled her hand away and lifted her dress over her head dot on the floor. Piper's body was trembling apparently Caravaggio was an artist with his tongue too. She heard a soft groan from the sofa and saw the professor and Juliana were both completely naked with her sprawled on her back and him on top as he worked his swollen cock in and out of her pussy. Caravaggio was also watching them from between her legs, and when he glanced up at Piper he gave her a mischievous smile. She didn't need a translator to tell her what his look meant. He had her get on all fours and she glanced over her shoulder, gently biting her lower lip when he pushed his pants down, and she saw how hard his cock was. He slid easily into her soaked pussy, and she moaned as he filled her with his entire length. She braced herself against the pillows, her full breast swaying beneath her as he fucked her with practice strokes, and turned to look at the sofa where she saw the professor watching her as he pounded Juliana, who was biting a pillow to stop from crying out. Caravaggio, obviously enjoying the foursome, called over to the professor. What did he say? Piper moaned, while also looking for a pillow to bite. He wants to know if I want to switch places with him, said the professor. Piper nervously licked her lips as she looked over and watched his thick pole plunging in and out. Oh, do you? Their eyes met, and he could see she was waiting for him to answer. But he tore his eyes away, back to Juliana, and said, I think we'd better stay focused on why we're really here. Don't let him get to the point of conception. And then what? Piper said, trying to concentrate while being hammered from behind. Jerk him off into a wine jug? Of course not, the professor answered, now fucking Juliana with faster, shorter strokes. He might find that insulting. 
Just let him come in your mouth, and then spit it into the wine jug. What? Has the blowjob even been invented yet? You don't need to give him oral sex. Just wait until he's ready to go and have him ejaculate into your mouth. Piper reached between her legs and squeezed Caravaggio's balls. She knew he was getting close. Are you going to tell him that's the plan? I'm pretty sure that if you offer, he won't need much prompting. And are you going to come in her mouth, too? Of course not, she might swallow it. I'll just use a wine jug, too. The professor came first. When he suddenly pulled out and grabbed the empty jug, Juliana was surprised, but she grabbed his cock and jerked him off into it, shooting come inside. Caravaggio, watching what they were doing, laughed and told the professor he didn't have to worry about getting his girlfriend pregnant. He then turned his concentration back to Piper. She'd been playing with and massaging his balls while he fucked her so she could tell when he was going to come. When she felt them tighten up and heard him groan, she quickly spun around and opened her mouth. The professor was right Caravaggio didn't need any prompting. Though surprised for a second, he quickly recovered and slid his cock between Piper's lips. His legs trembled and his hips bucked as he held her head in place and shot a huge load against the roof of her mouth. Piper squeezed his cock and sucked on it, making sure she got every drop. When the professor hurried over with the jug, she leaned over and let the mouthful of cum spill into it. Caravaggio and Juliana were both spent as they lay on the sofa and watched Piper and the professor dress. They had offered for them to stay for the night and another round of pleasure, but the professor politely declined. Caravaggio smiled and shook his head as he watched them leave with the cum-filled jug, and as they went out the door he called after them. What did he say? Piper asked. The professor smiled. He said he's going to put you in his next painting you've inspired him. When the cart appeared with a bright flash in the forest, they were both exhausted. Piper fell asleep in front of the professor, with his arms wrapped around her to keep her warm, and when they woke it was late morning. The professor had awakened first, and when Piper opened her eyes she saw him sitting on the side of the cart, watching her. She smiled at him as she stretched, and then looked at the woods around them. Is this like Sherwood Forest or something? she asked. Am I going to meet Robin Hood? I highly doubt that as he was fictional. But we're actually not far from Nottinghamshire, in England. Oh, gotcha. How far back did we go this time? We've jumped eighty years, the material we collected was excellent, he said with a smile. We're in the year 1517. Eighty years? Is that good? The time machine can make jumps as far as one hundred years, but eighty years is still very good. Did you ever get enough, material, to make a hundred-year jump? I haven't personally, but Professor Carr regularly did. Oh, wow. She sounds like quite a girl. And I was actually wondering about her. I know you said she's trapped in the past, but why are we in such a rush to get back to her? Isn't she, like, suspended in time? Can't we just reappear there a second after you left her? I know what you mean, the professor said but the time machine's accuracy is already very limited and we'll be lucky if I can land it in the same month, let alone the same year that I left her there. And I'm sure I don't need to explain to you the risk that every second she spends trapped in the past poses to both our own timeline and, potentially, our very existence. We'd better get back to work then, Piper said. Any famous people around here we can meet? 
Maybe another artist and his girlfriend, she said hopefully. I believe the only historically significant person you'd have heard of would be King Henry VIII. You. Didn't he chop all his wives' heads off? And isn't he, like, fat and gross? No, and at this time, no, the professor answered. I believe it was this year when he would have first met Anne Bullen, so in addition to not yet having chopped her head off, he was still relatively thin. But I don't think we'll be meeting either of them. Even if we knew where they were, I'm sure we wouldn't be able to get anywhere near them. Nobles waited months to get an audience. We only have twenty-four hours. You'd better stay with the cart, the professor told Piper, while I see if I can locate a professional to help me out. She quickly jumped down from the cart. Wait, I want to help. Let me see if I can find another farmer or something. You don't have to do that, Piper. You did more than enough in Rome. I don't want you to feel like you're not doing your part. And besides, it might be dangerous. Which is exactly why I should be the one going while you stay with the time machine. If something happens to me, you can still go back to rescue Professor Carr. But if anything happens to you, Piper, I won't put you at risk. I'll be fine, she said. If Professor Carr could do this, I can too. The professor was reluctant to let her go, but he knew she was right. If you don't find anyone in a half hour, you come right back here. I won't even be that long. I'm just going to go for a short walk to see what I can find. If I don't find anything soon, I'll come right back. And I'd better take that empty wine jug, just in case I find someone who needs a hand job. As he watched her disappear down the path, the professor called after her. You'll collect better material if you can convince them to let you give them a blowjob. Piper had walked about a mile when she heard a horse whinny. Walking toward the sound, she spotted a stable through the trees. As she neared the fence, she saw a young stable boy feeding the horse's oats. When he looked up she waved, and ducked under the fence and crossed the corral. May I help you, miss? He said. Piper gave him an inviting smile. You can, I was hoping you might show me around inside. He wasn't sure what she could possibly want to see in the stables, but he couldn't say no to such a pretty girl. He took her inside and was surprised when he turned and saw how close she was standing to him. What's your name? Piper asked. Thomas. He tried to take a step back but bumped against the wall of the stall. How old are you, Thomas? Eighteen. He stammered. Do you like girls? He blinked. Of of course. Do you like me? She asked, taking a step closer. He quickly nodded. Want me to make you feel good? She whispered. As she rubbed her hand across the stiff outline bulging his rough wool pants that he swallowed nervously, and gave her another nod, Piper gave Thomas a wink and sidled up alongside the young stable boy. She loosened the rope holding his worn pants up and slid them down just far enough to expose his stiff cock, and tugged on him while he groaned and braced himself against the stall. Piper remembered how quickly the young farmer on the hay wagon had gone off and she wanted to make sure she did as the professor had instructed. Thomas's prick was pointing straight up as Piper got on her knees in front of him. W.H., what are you doing? He asked. Shit, she thought. I knew the blowjob hadn't been invented yet. Piper tried to reassure the stable boy. I just wanted to see it up close and give it a little kiss. She flicked her tongue against the underside of his cock head and thought his knees were going to buckle. 
She flicked it again and again, and with each tiny lick Thomas moved his cock closer until the head was pressing against her lips. Piper wrapped her mouth around it and started to suck, while he closed his eyes and let out a loud moan. She felt his balls and knew he was going to go off in about five seconds. She felt around her for the empty jug and was startled when she touched a bare foot just behind her. Piper and Thomas were both embarrassed when they realized another stable boy, Thomas's older brother Henry, had been watching them. Piper tried to get up but Henry grabbed her shoulder, gently forced her back down, and pulled out his own cock. Piper licked her lips and glanced up at him. You're going to have to go second. She resumed sucking Thomas's swollen shaft, and, as she predicted, it was a matter of seconds before she was pumping his cum into the wine jug that she'd barely finished with his brother when Henry reached down and grabbed her hand. He wrapped it around his prick, with his hands clasped on top, and started to furiously fuck it. Whoa, Piper said, yanking her hand away. That must be the old-fashioned way. Why don't you let me show you how good I just made Thomas feel? Piper had just coaxed Henry into her mouth when she heard footsteps and looked behind her to see a third stable boy. Who the hell is that? she asked. That's me older brother Fergus, Henry answered. Oh no, Piper groaned. How many brothers do you guys have? A half hour later, the professor leaped down from the cart as he saw Piper returning. Any luck? Oh yeah, she said. I found a stable. Do we have anything to drink? I've got this terrible taste in my mouth. I don't think they've invented the bath yet. The professor looked into the wine jug and was astonished to see it was a quarter filled with cum. All of this came from one stable boy. Five, actually. Luckily for me, the other four brothers were out gathering wood. Piper rinsed her mouth with water and spat it out as the professor loaded the material into the reactor. As he watched the gauge rise, he tapped it as if he didn't believe the reading. Are you sure there were only five boys, not ten? He said. Why? Are you hoping I'll go back for more? No, but this is amazing. The reading on the gauge is twice what I'd expect it to be. What does that mean? The professor turned, looking her up and down as if it was the first time he'd seen her. It means that you're going to be historically significant. Piper wiped her mouth with the back of her hand. Probably for inventing the blowjob. The peasant girl ran frantically through the tall grass. When she stopped to catch her breath, she ducked down and looked back at what was left of her village. Flames rose like bonfires from thatch roofs, and mounted soldiers chased down villagers fleeing the carnage. Only twelve years old, she managed to slip away unseen. Her older sister hadn't been as lucky and now the dying village was her grave. As she ran over a hillock, she desperately prayed for God to save her. Suddenly. There was a bright flash in front of her and two figures appeared like angels. She dropped to her knees before them. Piper and the professor were shocked to see a child so close to the time warp. Piper lifted the girl up and, when she saw how terrified she was, hugged her tightly. The professor saw the black smoke and scrambled to the top of the hill to get a better look. We have to get out of here now, he said. They pulled the time machine through the tall grass to a nearby wood. The girl followed them and once they stopped, kneeled to pray in front of them. The professor gently interrupted her and asked her name. J. Amapel Jean. The professor's eyes widened in surprise. He backed away and checked the date on the chronometer 1424. 
leaning close to Piper, he whispered. As unbelievable as it might sound, I think this girl is Joan of Arc. Piper turned to stare at him and, hoping she didn't sound like an idiot, said, Who? She tried to drive the English out of France and ended up being burned at the stake for heresy. They called her the Maid of Orleans. She was a folk hero to her people and is, literally, a saint. Joan was kneeling behind them, thanking them for saving her and telling them how beautiful they were. The professor pulled her back to her feet. You must escape, he told her in French. Run from the English soldiers, but don't be afraid. I can see how brave you are. You will do great things for France. Tears streamed down Joan's face as she smiled and nodded at the professor. He pointed far across the fields and she got up and ran, away from her village. Behind them, the professor heard a shout from the hill. A an English archer, standing at the crest, raised his longbow and took careful aim at the fleeing child. No, the professor shouted, as he ran out from cover and waved his arms frantically at the soldier. The archer stopped and pointed at the grove of trees the professor and Piper were hiding in. As he pointed, two horsemen appeared from behind the hill and spurred their mounts into a gallop toward them. The professor backed toward the woods, his face going pale. Oh no! We've got to get out of here now! He ran to the cart and pulled back the floorboard. There was no time to adjust the controls. He kneeled by the reactor and pushed his pants down. Piper watched as the soldiers closed in on them while the professor desperately masturbated, trying to fuel the time reactor. The archer on top of the hill had given up on Joan as she ran across the field and instead fired an arrow toward the cart. The professor screamed in pain and clamped his right hand against his head as the arrow plowed a throw across his skull. Piper watched in horror as he slumped forward with blood pouring from a gash in his scalp and down the side of his face. They could hear the riders shouting out battle cries as they neared the woods. The professor tried to switch hands, but pain and dizziness overwhelmed him they were out of time. Suddenly, Piper knelt beside him. It's okay, you're going to be fine, she said, trying to hold him upright while she grabbed his cock and started stroking it. You can do it, professor, she whispered, and he let out a loud groan as she pumped his shaft hard. Come on, come for me, she whispered in his ear. Shoot some come for me. The riders were shouting at them, and she heard the hammering of the horse's hooves as she stroked him faster and faster. Her hand was a blur on his cock when he finally groaned and exploded come all over the time machine. Desperately hoping that her aim had been true and some had landed in the reactor, Piper smacked the button. Joan watched from her hiding place on the far side of the field. She was terrified as the English bore down on the woods where she saw her rescuers kneeling together on the cart and praying for salvation. When she saw the bright flash of light and watched them disappear she knew she'd been right they were angels. Tears streamed down her face again as she looked heavenward into the bright, blue sky and knew that God has sent the angels, St. Michael and St. Catherine, to save her. She remembered St. Michael's words, and swore that she would be brave and that she would do great things for her country. She wouldn't be afraid of the English and would restore France to its glory. Piper tried to catch the professor as he fell forward onto the cart, but he slumped unconscious onto his side as blood oozed from the wound in his scalp. In a panic, she rifled through the compartments until she found a first aid kit, and did her best to bind his wound and stop the bleeding. Wondering where and when they were, 
She scanned the time machine's controls until she saw the date 1274 on a digital readout. The rest of the indicators were a mystery to her. Fearing discovery, she slid the false floor into place and covered the professor with a blanket to try to keep him warm. Piper knew she needed to find help soon. She looked around and saw they were on a mountain path and a light snow was starting to fall. She shivered from the cold as she ran to the front of the cart and tried to pull it up the path. As she struggled forward, one of the wheels became stuck in a frozen rut. She fought to free it, but stopped when she spotted mounted silhouettes appearing through the falling snow. Piper had no choice but to face the approaching riders. As they neared, she saw they were leading a caravan and cautiously approached them. Please, can you help me? She called. My friends hurt bad. Wherever I mean we're English. The lead rider was incredulous as he looked down at her and shouted back to the caravan. She wondered if he was Italian, as it sounded as if he was speaking the same language that Caravaggio had. Piper ran back to the cart and waved the rider over. When he neared and saw the professor lying wounded and unconscious, he turned and spurred his horse back to the caravan. Piper was trying to wake the professor when three riders returned. One was the lead rider and another appeared to be a doctor, as he immediately climbed on the cart to examine the professor's wound. The third spoke to Piper in thickly accented English. I am Niccolo. You are English? How did you and your friend end up here, on the road to Kaskar? He said. Piper bit her lip, not sure how much she should say. Um, we're lost? Lost. I should think so. Your friend is badly injured and you are nearly frozen. You will travel with our caravan. We will leave the cart behind. No, Piper said. We must bring the cart. If you don't bring the cart, I can't go with you. Niccolo reined in his horse. He'd seen many strange things as he traveled the Silk Road, but none stranger than these two half-naked English along the roof of the world. He knew by the look in the woman's eyes she wouldn't be swayed. He signaled to a rider to bring the cart. Piper stayed with the professor while the doctor cleaned and stitched the wound, and then bandaged him. The doctor signaled to her that he needed rest, so she left the tent and followed Niccolo across the caravan's encampment. He guided her to a tent of her own, and she soon fell into a deep sleep. When she awoke she wasn't sure how many hours she'd slept. Niccolo brought her fresh clothes and food and drink. Piper thanked him and asked where they were. We are leaving the Pamir Mountains and following the Silk Road to Kaskar, he said. Piper hoped she didn't sound stupid. No, I mean, like, where on earth are we? Niccolo did a double take. We are in the land of the Mongols, China. We are on our way to the court of Kublai Khan. Khan? She thought, trying to remember the Star Trek movie she'd watched about him. At her request, Niccolo took her to see the professor, who still hadn't awakened. Piper was starting to get worried. She couldn't remember what would happen if they didn't use the time machine soon enough, and wondered if she'd be able to operate it on her own if absolutely necessary. As she wandered through the encampment, trying to remember all the things the professor had done each time he activated the time machine, she heard soft sobs from a tent. Piper peeked in and saw a young man about the same age as her. Twenty years old. When he spotted her at the entrance, he quickly wiped his tears and sniffled hoping she couldn't tell he'd been crying. She cautiously entered the tent and, when he didn't object, kneeled on a pillow beside him. She knew they couldn't understand each other, 
but the boy had the same look in his eyes that Pocahontas had he was homesick. She gently brushed his hair away from his face and pointed to herself. Piper! Piper! He repeated and pointed to himself. Marco! Marco! She repeated with a smile, and he answered. Polo! Marco Polo? He nodded and smiled. Piper knew she'd heard of him. She just wished the professor were awake so he could explain to her why. She peeked outside the tent to make sure no one was near, and asked Marco if he was homesick. He couldn't understand her, but he recognized the tone and nodded. And lonely? She asked. He hesitated, still unable to understand, but nodded anyway. Piper snuggled her warm body against him. I'm lonely too, she whispered. The professor woke with a start and tried to sit up but was overwhelmed by pain and dizziness. The doctor spoke to him in Venetian and the professor could just barely understand as he told him that he was going to be fine. Piper ducked into the tent and, when she saw the professor was awake, rushed over and hugged him while she softly kissed his head. After the doctor left the tent so they could be alone, Piper told the professor where and when they were, how long he'd been unconscious, and that the time machine was safe and then she told him she'd met Marco Polo. The professor winced as he tried to concentrate. You must be mistaken. There's no way we could be in 1274, or that you've met Marco Polo. That would mean we traveled 150 years the time machine can't jump that far. Oh, I definitely met Marco Polo, she said, pulling a small teacup out of hiding and showing the professor the sticky contents. She left out the fact that she was pretty sure she'd also taken his virginity. The professor held his head, trying to ignore the pain as he struggled to understand how they could have possibly traveled so far into the past. And he also couldn't figure out how they kept encountering famous people so easily. First Pocahontas, then Joan of Arc and now Marco Polo the odds were astronomical. He wondered if their historical significance was somehow drawing the time machine toward them, but knew it was something he wouldn't be able to investigate until he returned to his own time and until his head didn't hurt so much that he groaned in pain as he struggled to his feet, and Piper helped him stand. We need to get to the time machine and put the material you gathered in the reactor. I need to check the readings. Niccolo pleaded with them to stay until the professor completely recovered, but he insisted they couldn't. They had already lost too much time on their journey, and he was grateful when Niccolo offered them a horse to pull the time machine. Once the horse was yoked to the cart, they went back down the silk road the way they had come. Piper saw Marco watching her sadly from his tent as she left, and she blew him a kiss goodbye. Once they were out of sight, the professor pulled back the false floor and poured the teacup's pale contents into the reactor. When he saw how high the gauge went, he knew the fluid had to have come from Marco Polo or someone else equally historically significant. But he was still puzzled. Professor Carr's research had proven that the time machine couldn't make a jump farther back than a century, but they just traveled 150 years back in time. He knew he had to investigate further, but he knew if they didn't warp soon the time machine would return to their own time. Piper was petting the horse when he called her over, and she hugged him and held him steady while he reached for the button. There was a bright flash, and the horse stood alone in the middle of the road. She looked around and whinnied. Sensing something was strange, before trotting back down the road to the Polo family caravan. Piper loved how warm the sun felt after the cold of the mountains. She twirled in the grass field, 
tilting her smiling face toward the sun, and thought she'd never been happier in her life. Meanwhile, the professor checked and double-checked his instruments. They were all in working order, with the chronometer indicating they were now in the year 1190. He was positive the readings were correct, and the scientist in him knew there was only one way to learn what had caused the time machine to travel 150 years in one jump. They had to recreate the conditions of the second-to-last jump, to see if they could duplicate it. He excitedly called Piper while taking his pants off, when he looked up and saw the shocked expression on her face. As he stood there completely naked from the waist down, he quickly tried to cover his stiffening cock with his hands. Piper laughed. Oh, now you're shy. I apologize. In my excitement, I forgot myself. It's just that the only variance I could think of that could possibly explain the extraordinarily large time jump was your masturbating me. If we could just duplicate those conditions to see if... Piper held her hand up to stop him. I think you already tried that line on me the first time I met you in the lab. The professor stammered in embarrassment. Well, I... I don't want to make you do anything that you're uncomfortable with. I'm just teasing you. Piper moved his hands and caressed his cock, feeling it thicken while she stroked it. I'm always willing to help in the name of science. The professor nervously tried to explain why this was necessary, but she stopped him again. Sure. You had me at extraordinarily large. Piper kneeled in front of him and sucked on the head of his cock, smiling when she saw him watching her. She ran her tongue up and down his length and, when she thought he was ready, stretched her mouth around his thick pole and tried to get as much of his cock in her mouth as she could. Now she knew she'd never been happier in her life. The professor lovingly combed his fingers through her hair as she sucked him off. His theory actually required her to only masturbate him again, but there was no way he was going to tell her that now. She bobbed back and forth on his stiff pole while massaging his balls. His knees were weak from the sensation. He just prayed that Piper's oral ministrations would produce the same results her earlier hand job had. But he resigned himself to the fact that, if the readings weren't the same, he could always request that strictly in the name of science she give him another hand job later. Piper moaned as she felt his cock swelling in her mouth. She pumped him faster and was surprised when he grabbed her head and held it, groaning as he filled her mouth with cum when he realized what he'd done he apologized, worried that in his excitement he'd ruined the experiment. He was relieved when Piper leaned back, smiling as she showed him the load of cum in her mouth. He led her over to the time machine, and they watched each other's eyes while his cum dripped off her tongue and into the reactor. Wow she said. That was a lot of cum. I bet this time jump will be so big that we'll see cavemen chasing dinosaurs. The professor started to speak, but bit his tongue. He simply pulled her tightly against him and pushed the button. Piper cheered. Woohoo! A new record! The professor was astonished as he read the chronometer. He'd never imagined such a large time jump was possible and could only conclude it was related to their status as time travelers combined with their supposed historical significance. I can't believe we actually jumped 375 years. He smiled and laughed as he watched her celebrating. The chronometer is correctly indicating that we're now in the year 815 unbelievable. Piper grabbed his hands and tried to get him to dance with her. I want to go for the record. I want to do the biggest time warp ever. He laughed. What do you mean? 
You should fuck me, professor. Fuck me and see how far back we jump. The smile left his face, and he suddenly pulled his hands away from Piper's grasp. You must never suggest that again, he said. She looked at him, and his face was ashen. Why? she whispered. What's wrong? I'm sorry, Piper, but we can never ever do that. There can be dangerous, if not tragic, consequences if two time travelers dare get that near the point of conception. And I can't take that risk with you. How do you know? Did Professor Carr, please? He interrupted. Just trust me. I know. She nodded her head okay, and they sat together in the back of the cart, holding each other tightly and not saying a word. After an hour had passed, he let her know he was ready and leaned back as Piper's head gently bobbed up and down in his lap. And minutes later, in a flash of light, they were gone. Piper sat up and stretched her arms to greet the sunrise. On the cart beside her, the professor was still sleeping. They'd slept the night wrapped in each other's arms beneath the ancient oaks of Roman Britain. She carefully snuck beneath the blanket and gently pulled his pants down to free his cock. She softly sucked on it, and he moaned in his sleep as he grew longer and thicker and harder. His eyes blinked open and he groaned when he realized her lips were wrapped around his aching shaft again. Whoa, he said, pulling his cock out of her disappointed mouth. You've sucked me off four times since yesterday. I need a break. She kept stroking his hard cock with her hand, and smiled naughtily at him with her wet mouth. He doesn't look like he wants to take a break. He doesn't, but I do. I never knew time travel could be so draining. Just a short break then, but I want you back in my mouth as soon as we're finished breakfast. I'm serious, the professor laughed, as Piper pretended to pout. I hate to disappoint you, but you can't give me any more oral sex. The chronometer says that we're in the year 65 AD. We only need to go back 15 more years, so I'm going to have to take care of things myself. Your naughty little mouth is a little too good at powering the time machine. Hmm. I'm just trying to make up for lost time, Piper said, as she snuggled closer to him. Back at the lab, when you came out of your office and I first saw you naked, I couldn't stop thinking about your cock and about how much I wanted to suck it. So why didn't you? I'm shy. The professor rolled his eyes, and Piper's laughter echoed through the trees as he tickled her. Soon after, the professor went into the forest to search for food while Piper found a stream and washed their clothes. She hung their robes on the yoke of the cart to dry in the sun as the professor returned with handfuls of walnuts and blackberries. The professor used a stone to crack a walnut open for Piper and said, When we get to the year 50 AD, where Professor Card disappeared, you'll have to remain with the time machine. Okay, do you think it will be hard to find her? Possibly. We only have 24 hours before the time machine reverts to its point of origin. If for some reason I don't return, don't look for me. Promise me you'll stay with the time machine. Piper nodded but wasn't sure if she could. Piper hated being left out. When the professor had masturbated to fill the time reactor, he'd insisted she couldn't touch his cock. She found this incredibly frustrating so she reached under his shirt and teased his nipples while she pressed her breasts against him and whispered naughty encouragement in his ear as he jacked off. Once he was coming, she quickly grabbed his cock and pumped his cum into the container. She loved the feel of his thick shaft in her hand. 
The year was now 60 AD, only one more jump before they reached their destination, the year 50 AD. They had stayed in Roman Britain and the time machine was in the middle of a meadow near a stream. The professor had taken a rest and was now masturbating again on the back of the cart. Piper leaned close and whispered in his ear. Are you thinking about me? Thinking about how nicely my mouth fits around your big cock? Hmm. I want to suck you so badly. I can't wait until we get back to our own time so you can fuck me with that big stick. The professor couldn't take any more of her naughty talk. She smiled when she saw the reaction it was having on him. He beat his prick furiously, and the head of his cock turned purple. Piper's job was to have the container ready to catch his cum, but she couldn't resist reaching under and squeezing his balls to feel how tight they were getting. He moaned at her touch, so she kept playing with them as he jacked off. When he let out a loud groan, she quickly grabbed the container and aimed his cock while he shot cum inside. The professor fell back on the cart exhausted. I'm glad we're nearly there. I think I'm out of fuel. You better not be. You said you'd save some for me. Piper leaned over to the reactor and poured cum inside. The gauge immediately lit up and rose, until it reached the top and glowed with a pulsing light. Um, is it supposed to do that? She asked. The professor turned around and groaned in frustration. No. It's too strong. It must have been from you touching me. You said not to touch your cock. I was playing with your balls. The professor laughed. I'm not complaining, but I think next time you better keep your hands to yourself until I'm finished. They cleaned out the reactor with some rags and then walked over to the stream to watch the sticky come out of them. Such a waste, Piper said. A hare loped past and startled them, and when they turned around they were shocked to see a gray-cloaked figure climbing onto the cart. Hey! Get away from there! The professor shouted as he sprinted toward him. The stranger's face was cloaked in shadow, but as he looked back they saw a golden torque around his neck. He kneeled to look at the time machine, reaching out and cautiously touching the console, but started when a low horn blared in the distance. The mysterious figure took one last look at Piper and the professor before leaping off the cart and running across the meadow toward the trees. How could I be so stupid? The professor said as Piper caught up to him. I can't believe I didn't hide the time machine. He quickly pulled the false floor in place and had her help him pull the cart toward the trees. They had nearly reached them when they saw a man come stumbling out of the woods. A Roman centurion staggered toward them. As he neared, they could see he was bleeding from multiple wounds. Piper rushed to help him. Let him be, the professor said. We have to get out of here. We can't leave him. He needs help. The professor reluctantly helped her lift him on the cart, and they covered him with a blanket. Piper wiped his head with the wet rag from the river and he half opened his eyes as he spoke. The professor, who could barely understand the soldier's vulgar Latin, translated. He's telling us to flee Boudicca is coming. As they pulled the burden cart, the professor hurriedly told Piper about Boudicca, the ancient Briton warrior queen who had led her people, the Iceni to a series of victories over the Romans before finally being defeated. At one point she even burned ancient London to the ground and killed over 50,000 people. He said, Whichever direction she's heading, we want to make sure we're going the opposite way. But when they reached the edge of the woods he could see they'd already gone the wrong way. 
A chaotic mass of Britons armed with crude weapons swept across the plain in front of them to the south. The Roman soldier had passed out from the pain, and the professor pulled a blanket over him to hide him while the procession passed out a roar rose in the distance and rippled through the rebel force. Piper and the professor watched as three wicker chariots pulled by ponies rode alongside the horde of Britons, who chanted Boudicca's name. The professor climbed on top of the cart to get a better view. As he watched the chariots ride past, he was stunned when he spotted the lead rider. She was nearly ten years older, and her hair was much longer than when he'd last seen her. But there was no mistaking her face. Oh my God! He shouted to Piper. Boudicca is Betty Carr. The professor helped her up on the cart as the chariots thundered past so she could get a better view, and Piper said, I thought you said she needed to be rescued. She looks like she's doing pretty good to me. The professor shouted, so that Piper could hear him over the roar of the mob. I'm not sure what's happened, but these people seem to think she's the real Boudicca. We need to find a way to get near her, so I can talk to her. The professor watched the surging human mass between them and Professor Carr trying to spot a safe path through. On the far plain, a woman in a gray dress ran out in front of the chariots and waved them down. As the chariots reined to a halt, the woman said a few words and then pointed right at Piper and the professor. They watched as the chariots wheeled around and led a group of spear-wielding warriors in their direction. Um, they don't look too friendly, Piper said. You sure we shouldn't start heading in the other direction, like you said earlier? The professor glanced nervously at the mob, which had now taken notice of them, and knew they couldn't escape if they tried. Not wanting to alarm Piper, he said, If Professor Carr, as Badika, is truly in charge, there shouldn't be any danger for us. As her procession reached the far edge of the mob, Professor Carr reined her chariot to a halt while her warriors cleared a path through the crowd. Her eyes met the professor's, and as they narrowed he knew she'd recognized him. The first of the warriors broke through the crowd and rushed toward them, and the professor moved in front of Piper to protect her. When the warriors were all through, they surrounded the cart with their weapons raised menacingly, and the woman who had pointed them out walked up to the professor and yelled at him in an unknown language. Before he could say anything, she reached into the cart and tore the blanket away. The crowd roared and went into a frenzy when they spotted the Roman centurion lying unconscious in the back. The professor tried to protest, but he and Piper were quickly seized and bound with ropes at their wrists. The woman in the gray dress tied them to the back of the cart and ordered the warriors to pull it to an encampment on the far side of the plain. Piper was terrified as the cart lurched away, nearly pulling her off her feet. The professor was trying to talk to her but she couldn't hear him over the screams of the crowd as they tried to get at her, trying to fight past the wall of warriors to tear at her hair. She barely ducked a stone thrown at her head, and as they led the cart past the woman she recognized as Professor Carr, she tried to call to her, hoping she'd remember her from when she cleaned her office at the university. But if she knew her she didn't show it, and her eyes burned with contempt as she watched her pass. When they finally reached the camp, their arms felt as if they were about to be pulled from their sockets, and their throats were choked with dust. Thousands of Britain warriors and their families filled the camp, and Piper and the professor were taken to a high-walled tent. They were thrown down on the dirt floor in the otherwise unoccupied tent. Both of them were bound and four warriors were left to guard them. The smell of roasting meat drifted through the tent from outside, 
but when the professor asked for food and water the guards ignored him. And when he tried to whisper to Piper he got a hard kick in the ribs, letting him know to keep silent. She turned to look at him and he could see the fear in her eyes, but he tried to reassure her by mouthing. It's going to be okay. She smiled weakly and nodded, and he knew she was putting her trust in him. Finally, after what seemed like hours, another warrior came and led them all across the encampment to a huge tent at the center. As they were shoved inside, they looked around and saw it was much larger than the one they'd been held captive in. There was a large carpet in the center of the room and a couch covered in animal skins and pillows. Resting on the couch was Professor Carr who was being waited on by servants while four guards flanked her. Elizabeth Betty. It's me, Carl, said the professor. You will address me as Badika, she said in perfect English. Why have you come back, Carl? Why? We're here to rescue you. To take you back to our time, Betty. She scoffed at him. Do I look like I need to be rescued? My place is here. In our time... I was just a professor of history. Here I'm a goddess of victory. The professor shook his head. You're not the real Boudicca is. I am the real Boudicca. Don't you understand? I'm not changing history, I'm fulfilling it. Can't you see how similar the names sound Boudicca, Betty Carr? Isn't it obvious? There was no Boudicca until I traveled through time and created her. The professor blinked, wondering if she could possibly be right. But even if that's true, if you stay, you'll just get killed by the Romans, like she did. Professor Carr sat up straight, and her eyes gleamed with a wild fanaticism. No. The Roman general Suetonius defeated the historical Boudicca in the Midlands. I intend to lead my armies away from there and to lead the Romans on a march of attrition across Britain. Nero will soon grow weary of our rebellion and will withdraw his troops from my lands and I will begin my rule as Queen Boudicca. You can't change history, the professor argued. Rome controlled Britain for nearly four more centuries. If you change that, if you change the future, you could jeopardize your very existence. Professor Carr laughed. That's your future, not mine. I will stay here and create a new tomorrow. He tried to step toward her, and the warriors stopped him. But when the three of us first went back in the time machine— We agreed that none of us would interfere with the past. If I'd known that you'd do something like this, I would have never brought you. You? Brought me? I'm the one who did all the work so we could travel through time. Look what happened the one time you decided to help. She looked at Piper. Did he tell you what happened to Deidre? Piper nodded. Yes, she died. And did he tell you that he is the one who killed her? Piper glanced over at the professor and as he met her eyes he quickly shook his head to let her know it wasn't true. I didn't kill Deidre, he said. You know her death was an accident. Before Professor Carr could continue, he said, Let us return then. Let Piper and I go back with the time machine, and you can stay here. Professor Carr sneered at him. And have you stalking me through time? Have you going back even farther to try to ruin my plans? You know I can't do that, Carl. I'm sorry to have to inform you that you're both scheduled to be executed when the sun rises. As Piper gasped, the professor cried, You can't kill us! You're not a murderer, Betty! She suddenly stood up, glaring at him. Betty Carr is no more. I am Badika. 
she stabbed her finger accusingly at him and said, You have been sentenced to death for aiding the enemy. Bring in the prisoner, Vendicina. The woman in the gray dress, the one who'd first pointed them out on the cart, stepped forward and walked to the entrance of the tent. At her signal, two warriors brought in the captured Roman soldier and threw him down on the floor. It was obvious that he'd been badly beaten. He will die alongside you tomorrow, and your corpses shall be left as a warning to others who try to aid the Romans, said Professor Carr. Please, Betty, he begged. You know you can't stay here. Come with us. If you don't want to go back to our time, we can keep traveling together even farther into the past. She sat back down on her intricately carved, tortoise-shell-and-laid, Roman sofa. Why? Why would I leave when I have everything I could ever desire here? Professor Carr merely glanced at a slave girl and she immediately rushed to pour her wine. These slaves, she said, as she slowly ran her fingers down a slave's muscled torso until they brushed against the outline of his cock. Fulfill my every need. I never had this power at the university. No student ever offered to fuck me for a better grade. Not like all those young girls who happily spread their legs to pass your class. That never happened, he said angrily. Those were terrible rumors. So that wasn't Dieter your student who was jerking you off in the lab when you first got come all over the time machine? It wasn't like that, he said with a nervous glance at Piper. Dieter and I were in love. Well, then you should be very happy, as you'll soon be reunited with her. A messenger appeared at the entrance and the servant, Vendicina, relayed the message to Professor Carr she listened and then smiled at the professor. The Roman general is making his move. I'm sure he wonders how I know what he's going to do before he does. At her signal, the warriors grabbed Piper and the professor and led them back to the tent they'd come from. Night had fallen, and the glow of fires lit the encampment. And as the professor passed them, he saw the Britons surrounding the fires had painted their faces with blue woad, preparing for battle. When they finally reached the tent, they were shoved inside and the unconscious Roman soldier was tossed down on the hard dirt floor to join them. Two warriors stood inside the entrance of the tent guarding them, spears at the ready. They hadn't been in the tent long, when the servant, Vendicina, appeared and signaled for the two guards to step outside to talk, knowing it might be their only opportunity to escape. Piper and the professor both fought to free themselves. She clenched her teeth as she twisted and pulled her arms and legs, struggling to get loose. It's no use, the professor whispered. We're tied too tightly. I can get free, she grunted. I saw how they do this in the movies. Before the professor could argue, he looked over and saw the Roman soldier, who had been feigning unconsciousness, had managed to free himself from his own bonds that he was sneaking over to untie them when they heard voices approaching from outside. He quickly stepped over them, crawled under the far side of the tent, and fled. Motherfucker! Piper whispered, renewing her own attempts to free herself. She struggled and struggled and had just pulled one hand free when Vendicina ducked back inside. Piper tried to hide her free hand but it was too late. Professor Carr's servant had spotted it. She scowled at her and drew an iron dagger. No, the professor cried as he fought to free himself. Vendicina put her knee against Piper, growled something in Celtic, and then slashed the knife down. Piper gasped as the dagger cut through her ropes, freeing her. 
Vendicina was speaking rapidly as she moved to cut the professor loose. I do not understand you, the professor said in Latin. Do you speak Roman? Yes, she answered in the vulgar Latin commonly used by the Romans. Thank you. But why are you freeing us? The woman tugged the neck of her robe down to reveal a golden torque hidden underneath. Andrasta, goddess of victory, has sent me to overthrow the one who has usurped my name. Usurped your, you're the real Boudicca? said the professor. Yes, Boudicca answered. I was with the druids at Mona when the trees told me she was using my name to lead a revolt. I came to her as Vendicina and have hate in my heart for her after I have seen how she treats my people she is worse than the Romans. She says she will free my people, but I know she will enslave them. She would have us flee, but we shall fight. I will lead my people, and drive the legions from Britain. So you're going to kill her? the professor asked. I plan to, until I prayed to Andrasta for guidance, and her hair led me to you. The professor blinked in surprise. That was you we saw by the river climbing on our cart? Yes, when I saw the golden chariot of the war goddess, I knew that you had been sent to take the usurper away. We can't do that, the professor whispered, unless we have our golden chariot. It is right outside, Budika said. I knew you would need it, so I had warriors loyal to me bring it here. Many in this camp are secretly sworn to me, including the guards outside this tent. The professor grabbed Piper's hand. The time machine is right outside. Good. Let's get out of here, she said. We can't unless we take Betty with us. Piper threw her hands up in frustration. Are you kidding me? You heard her, she's crazy. She'll never agree to come with us. She doesn't have to agree. If we can just get her in the proximity of the time machine when we push the button she'll automatically be pulled back through time with us. Piper shook her head. I don't want to travel through time with her. Can't we just send her back to 2014? No, the only way to do that would be to jump the time machine forward in time, but we don't have reactor fuel powerful enough for that. I thought you said it can't go forward in time? It can't travel to the future, but it can jump ahead in time to where it first entered the time stream. That's essentially what happens if it doesn't jump in 24 hours. That's how I returned the last time. But we can't wait that long. We need to jump now. We should be able to power the reactor to jump back to the year 315 BC. Maybe once she's away from here I can talk some sense into her. Maybe? She wants to kill us. Piper cried. If we take her back at all, we have to take her back to our own time. She's too dangerous to leave anywhere else. We can't. There's no material powerful enough to allow the reactor to do a reverse jump all the way back to our time. Piper nervously chewed on her lower lip and said, What if you fuck me? Could that come be powerful enough? The professor squeezed her shoulders and sighed. Piper, I told you to never ask me to do that. When Betty said I killed Deidre, she was telling the truth. Deidre was my student but we were in love. That's why I asked her to come back with me through time. But as we traveled, Betty was the one collecting all the fuel for the time machine, and Deidre felt guilty and thought we should help. I knew time was directly linked to the point of conception, but had no way of knowing what would happen. She asked me to make love to her, with the intent of fueling the time reactor, but I went past the point of conception.
I accidentally came in her. There was a look of terror on her face, and then she was gone. Gone? Piper whispered. Vanished, as if she'd never existed. That's why we can't do it. I won't risk losing you too, Piper. I promise you, the first thing I'm going to do when we get back to our own time is make love to you. But don't ask me to do it now. But we have to, Piper said. It's our only hope. And if she changes the future, we may never have the chance to be together. He pulled her close, searching her eyes, and whispered, Piper, I can't lose you too. You won't lose me. I know you'll be careful. But we have to power the time reactor and take her back. It's the only way to save our future. Maybe everyone's future. The professor squeezed Piper's hand as he turned to Budika. We have to perform a fertility ritual to give the chariot power. Can you make sure no one interrupts us? She nodded and whispered commands to the guards outside while Piper and the professor undressed. Piper lay on her back and the professor could sense her nervousness as he kneeled between her legs. He leaned down and kissed her, and her lips trembled. Don't be afraid. I promise I won't let anything happen to you. I know, she whispered. I trust you. Piper reached between his legs, while still staring into his eyes, and stroked his cock hard. Meanwhile, Budika untied her russet hair and let it tumble to her waist as she began a Celtic incantation. She's praying for our success, the professor said, as Piper rubbed the head of his cock between her soft pussy lips. She was tight, but wet enough that he slid easily into her, and Piper bit her lip to stifle a moan as he completely filled her. As he pulled out, she grabbed his hips and pulled him back, helping him pump in and out of her. Oh, fuck, that feels so good. She whispered. Uh Uh-huh, he said, fucking her with a steady rhythm while Budika swayed and chanted around them. And as the chanting increased in pace so did he, his hips slapping against Piper's thighs as she moaned loudly and begged him to fuck her faster. Budika reached in a pouch and ritualistically tossed seeds around them, chanting even faster while the professor increased the speed of his thrusts to match the tempo of her incantation. He fucked Piper as fast and hard as he could, desperately wanting to come. And she wrapped her arms tightly around his neck to hang on as he pistoned his cock in and out of her, and cried out as an orgasm rolled through her body. The professor could feel his balls tightening as he fucked her. He was just about to warn her that he had to pull out so he could come. When she locked her legs tightly around him and kissed him hard on the mouth, he frantically tried to push Piper away but it was too late, and his body tensed as he filled her with cum. He saw a look of terror in her eyes as she felt his warmth flooding her, and instantly just like Deidre she vanished into nothingness. Her existence erased. The professor reached out as if he could catch her and then fell on the floor where she'd just been, hammering his fist against the earth in frustration. No. Piper. No, he cried. Budika grabbed his shoulder. The sacrifice has been made she is with Andrasta now. Tears streaked his face. No. I failed her. I told Piper I wouldn't, and I did. Budika pulled him to his feet. Don't let her sacrifice be in vain. You don't understand. Without her, without the ritual, I can't use the golden chariot to take the false Budika away. Andrasta will guide us, she said. While we still breathe, we are not beaten. She helped the professor to get dressed and concealed him in a cloak as she took him, led by her warriors, across the encampment. 
The professor was in a fog as he stumbled through the dark. Both Piper and Deidre were dead because of him. He wished he never invented the time machine. Budica opened a tent and guided the professor inside. The tent was dimly lit, but the professor saw two young women sitting cross-legged on skins that covered the earth floor. Budica spoke to the girls and they both kneeled and bowed before the professor. These are my daughters. They will care for you until I return, she said. The girls offered him food and wine, but the professor had no desire for either. Budika's daughters, both no older than twenty, shared the same wild, untamed beauty as their mother, but the professor only thought of Piper. He lay back and pictured her face, praying that he'd never forget it, while the girls cooled his head, arms and legs with damp cloths that he was startled when Budika woke him up, and he asked how long he'd been asleep. Not long. She whispered dot a as he regained his senses and his eyes adjusted to the dim light. He realized that he was now completely naked and that Budika's daughters, kneeling beside him, were also nude. Andrasta guides me, Budika said, as she let her robe fall so that all she was wearing was her golden torque. The three of us will help you complete the ritual. We will lend our strength to the golden chariot. The professor was speechless as he stared at Budika the light flickering off of her full breasts and burnished red hair. He started as one of her daughters touched his erect cock, which she gently stroked hard as he slept. Professor Carr had to be stopped, but the professor couldn't shake the crushing weight on his heart from what had happened to Piper. I don't know if I can do it. Andrasta wills it, Budica said, and straddled the professor. She placed her hands against his chest and lifted her ass while her daughter reached underneath and guided his cock to her opening. When she felt the head of his cock pressing against her, she lowered herself onto it.as his thick shaft parted her swollen pussy lips and stretched her wide. She shuddered from a jolt of pleasure, and moaned to one of her daughters. Let the ritual begin. The professor was halfway inside Budica and her daughter was just letting go of his stiff pole when they heard cries of alarm from outside. Budica hesitated a second, and then reluctantly lifted herself until his cock slipped out. I must go and see what's wrong, she said, and pulled her robe back on. My daughters will complete the ritual. They both rushed to straddle him, but the younger one won. She smiled down at the professor and then lifted her tiny ass triumphantly, so her sister could guide his cock inside her. Her older sister, disappointed at being left out again, stroked his shaft and teased her younger sister by brushing his cock head back and forth across the tiny folds of her tender pussy. Her little sister kept trying to push herself down on the professor's prick each time it touched her, but kept missing in frustration. She pulled her sister's hand away and reached between her legs to grab his cock and aimed it at her tiny opening. She smiled victoriously at the professor, but her smile disappeared as she lowered herself onto his throbbing cock groaning as he stretched her painfully wide. She was so tight that all she'd gotten was two inches when her mother burst back into the tent. They've caught the Roman centurion that escaped, she cried, as her daughters jumped up and grabbed their clothes. And they know that you and the girl are gone too. We need to get you out of here before you're discovered. No. The professor jumped up and stopped the youngest daughter from dressing squeezing her firm ass as he pulled her lithe body against his. We need to complete the ritual. We need to power the time machine. Budika was puzzled by the professor's strange words. What is this to machine? 
Before he could answer, there was a cry of warning from outside the tent and a clash of steel. The professor let the girl go as she and her sister ran to the far side of the tent. Budika rushed outside and he pulled on his pants and followed. There you are! Professor Carr screamed, as warriors loyal to her battled Budika's followers in front of the tent. I thought you might be near this. The professor realized she was standing on top of the cart. As he watched, she crouched down and slid back the false floor. The crowd fell back in superstitious fear as the controls on the golden panel glowed in the dark night. I'll never go back, Professor Carr cried, as she raised a spear above her head. And neither will you. The professor didn't even have a chance to cry out before she drove the spear down. Sparks and shards burst out from the time machine in an explosion of light, and the twisted metal screamed as she plunged the spear through the reactor and splintered the bottom of the wooden cart, and the crowd circling the wagon watched uneasily as Professor Carr threw her head back and laughed maniacally in triumph. Has she destroyed it? Budika asked. Has she destroyed Andrasta's chariot? The professor watched as the time machine's console faded and went dark, and he knew he was trapped in time forever. Yes, it's ruined. Budika let out a Celtic war cry and raised her sword as she tore her robe down, bearing her breasts for battle. In answer to her cry, both of her daughters, also bare-breasted and armed with short spears, emerged from the tent and flanked her. Warriors loyal to the true Budika drew their own arms and surged toward Professor Carr, while her devoted followers tried to force them back. The professor saw a sword from a fallen warrior lying near and picked it up testing its weight as he watched Professor Carr panicking on the cart. She screamed at the crowd, trying to convince them that she was the true queen of the Iceni, and not Boudicca. But a murmur had rippled through the Britons when Boudicca's daughters had appeared. They knew she was the true queen. The warriors trying to protect Professor Carr, still refusing to believe they'd been deceived, were forced into a tighter and tighter defensive circle as they fell. Knowing that she'd lost the crowd and her vision of glory, she cried out to the professor. Carl, save me! Tell them we'll leave! The professor clenched the sword tightly, wanting to make her pay for Piper and Deidre. But in his heart, he knew only he was to blame, and refused to be responsible for any more deaths that he dropped the sword and tried to get to Boudicca and her daughters, who were moving like furies as they hacked and slashed at the warriors protecting the usurper. Don't! he cried. Don't kill her! Budika looked back at him in triumph. He could see her eyes were filled with a wild bloodlust as she cried. Andrasta! Warrior goddess and goddess of victory! I am Budika, true queen of the Iceni. Hear my cry! We have paid your price. We have made the sacrifice. Destroy the usurper! Suddenly, as if in answer to her call, the ground rumbled beneath their feet. No one knew what was happening, including the professor and then there was a blinding flash. The professor squeezed his eyes shut and threw his arm up to shield them from the glare, and when he cautiously opened them he saw they were standing in a circle of light. As his eyes adjusted to the brightness, he saw two cloaked figures floating at the center. He looked around and saw that everyone, except for Professor Carr and himself, was frozen like statues. No! Don't let them take me! Betty cried and struggled to pull the spear free from the heart of the lifeless time machine dot he stepped toward the celestial beings. Was one of them Andrasta? The two entities pushed back their silvery white hoods.
The first was a middle-aged man about ten years older than the professor with dark, curly hair. The second was an old woman with a lined face and silver hair. She drifted toward the professor, her feet floating two feet above the ground, and when she saw his face clearer she gave him a warm smile that he knew her instantly, and his eyes filled with long-overdue tears. Deidre! She held the professor's head in her hands and wiped his tears away. I've searched for so long, Carl. I'm so happy to have finally found you. Professor Carr let go of the spear and stumbled off the car toward them, but the man glided forward and stopped her by calmly taking her hand. The professor felt the lines on her face and searched Deidre's eyes. When he'd last seen her, barely a week ago, she had been twenty-three years old. What happened to you? he whispered. Where have you been? In the far future. We come from the year 2253. When you and I crossed the point of conception, an anomaly was born in the time stream and I was drawn through it. Tears welled in his eyes. Deidre, I'm sorry I failed you. I'm sorry I couldn't save you. She stroked his cheek and gave him a reassuring smile. But you did save me, Carl. I went back with you to the past seeking something I could never seem to find in my own time. And when I ended up in the future, I was more frightened and lost and alone than ever. But then they found me and took me to a sanctuary. And when the holodoc examined me and told me I was pregnant, I knew I'd found the happiness I'd been seeking. The professor blinked away his tears. Pregnant? She smiled warmly and said, Carl, this is our son, Noah. The professor was speechless as he turned to stare at the dark-haired man, who was still holding Professor Carr's hand. Noah had the same warm smile and the same eyes as his mother. Hello again, father. There isn't much time, Carl, Deidre said. Noah is a time traveler like yourself, but I am not. The anomaly corrupted my point of origin. I cannot remain in the past long and will return to the future soon. We've come here to rescue you and Professor Carr and to return you to your own time. Not yet, Deidre. Please, I want to talk to you and to Noah, he said. You will talk to Noah. You have met him before and you will meet him again. But this is the last time we will ever see each other. He brought me back here because I wanted to look upon you one last time and because I wanted to let you know I have always loved you and always will. Remember me as I was. But you can't go yet. The professor sobbed. I didn't just fail you. I failed Piper too. You have to take me with you. You have to help me find her. Deidre glanced at Noah and saw the look of alarm in his eyes. Piper? Deidre whispered. Piper Gates? You've already met her? Yes, but Gates is my last name, not hers. Noah spoke up. Father, Piper Gates will be indirectly responsible for the death of millions in the future. Deidre continued before the professor could protest. In the future, Carl Gates will be remembered as the first and greatest of the time scientists. But your invention will be both a blessing and a curse. Countries will go to war for the secrets of time, and they will use them to destroy each other. Millions of lives will be wiped out of existence by the time the wars are over, and time machines will be banned. But it won't matter, through genetic engineering the time nuclei will unintentionally be eliminated from human DNA. Noah, as he shares our DNA, is the last of the time travelers there will be no more after him. Piper Gates will be your wife and after your death she will use her authority to allow the time machines to be weaponized starting the time wars. 
Millions will die, Carl, if you save Piper. The professor squeezed her hands tightly and pleaded for them to understand. No, I know, Piper, you don't. She couldn't. She wouldn't do that. I know from your perspective it's history. But my history, our history is still unwritten. We can make our own future. We can work together to make sure the wars of your time never happen, at least in our future. Deidre looked at Noah and then back at the professor. I'm sorry, Carl. We can't take that chance. In a flash of light, the professor and Betty were back in the testing chamber and his lab Noah and Deidre were gone. Before he could stop her, Professor Carr stumbled to her feet and ran off down the dimly lit hallway. He clutched his head in disbelief. He'd achieved his goal and saved Betty. But now both of the women he loved were gone forever. He looked around the testing chamber and realized with a start there was a cart behind him. He stood up and pulled back the false floor. The time machine was intact. He was examining the controls, wondering how the machine had survived and returned, when there was a warm glow behind him. He turned and saw Noah holding Piper in his arms. She was unconscious and wrapped in his cloak. I have done as you wished, father. I have found her and brought her back to you. The professor took Piper from his arms and held her tightly. Thank you, Noah, I mean, son. But what your mother said, is it true? Will millions die because of this, because of Piper? As you said, father, the future is still unwritten. We move forward through time with free will. Nothing is predestined. But every choice we make writes our history, whether it be good or bad. It is up to you to enlighten her so she will make the right choice when the time comes. Tears of relief rolled down the professor's cheeks. Thank you, Noah. Thank you for saving her. I have not. I have only brought her back. Only you can save her. The anomaly sent her to 2243 and corrupted her point of origin. But you can still reset it to this time if you cross the point of conception again before her current self enters the time stream. Otherwise, she will be lost in time forever. Before her current self? The professor hurried to the lab window and saw Piper standing in front of himself at the end of the hallway as he put on his lab coat, and behind them he could see the escort and the three drunken students getting dressed in his office. You must both cross the point of conception soon. Farewell and good luck, Father. I will see you in time. The professor closed his eyes as Noah vanished in a flash of light. He gently shook Piper, and as she regained consciousness and saw him, she crushed herself against him in a hug. Oh my God! she cried. I thought you were gone forever. The professor heard footsteps coming toward the lab and quickly pulled Piper into the instrument storage closet with him. What is it? she whispered. What's wrong? He gestured out the closet's small window and saw the look of amazement on her face when she saw herself entering the testing chamber. We've come back to before we actually left in the time machine, he whispered. But we need to cross the point of conception before they leave, or you'll be trapped in the future forever. Then do it, Piper whispered, as she quickly pulled her robe off. The professor pushed his pants down and was desperately pulling on his cock racing to get it hard. Piper could see the panic in his eyes, the fear of failure. Relax, she whispered. Calm down and try to breathe normally. She removed his hand and stroked his cock while massaging his balls. Peeking out the window, he could see himself in the lab, unscrewing the lid on the time reactor. Piper put her hand on his chest and could feel his heart thumping, 
turning his face from the window, she kissed him softly on his lips. Only think of me, she whispered. Not them. Just relax and we'll be fine. She squatted in the cramped closet and wrapped her lips around his half-hard cock. A as he watched her bobbing back and forth, stroking him quickly. He closed his eyes and tried to shut everything else out and to think of Piper. Only of Piper. He let out a soft moan as he felt his cock stiffening in her warm mouth. Piper also felt it, and eagerly flicked her tongue against the tip of his cock a few times before sucking him even faster. The professor glanced out the closet window and saw Piper handing her phone to himself in the other room. He knew there wasn't much time that he pulled her to her feet, lifted her leg for better access, and lined his stiff cock up with her opening. Their eyes met, and Piper nodded and whispered, Fuck me! The professor leaned against her, feeling her breasts crushed against his chest as he drove his thick cock inside her. Piper stifled a moan as he buried it to the hilt and had to bury her face in his shoulder so she wouldn't cry out in pleasure as he fucked her hard. But he kept looking back over his shoulder at the window, wondering how much time they had left before it was too late. And as he worried, his cock started to soften. No, 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 Piper desperately whispered in his ear. Focus on me, Carl. Focus on me. You promised to fuck me with your big cock as soon as we got back, and I need you to keep that promise now. He nodded, squeezing her soft ass as he drove himself up into her. Oh, your cock is so fucking huge, she whispered, and it feels so fucking good. When we were in Rome, and Caravaggio asked if you wanted to switch, I was hoping you'd say yes and fill me with your big pole. And when I finally felt how perfectly it fit in my hand, and in my mouth, and you let me suck it over and over, you don't know how badly I wanted it inside of my pussy. It felt so good when you fucked me, baby, fuck me again. The professor had his eyes closed, envisioning everything she was telling him as he stroked his stiffening cock in and out of her tight hole. She was surprised when he suddenly pulled out and had her turn around, and she gasped as he pressed her against the wall slamming his cock into her from behind. His frenzied fucking was pushing her toward the edge, and she stifled moan after moan as he held her throat with one hand while he wrapped his hand around her waist and impaled her on his thick cock. The professor glanced out the window and his eyes went wide with fear when he saw he was reaching out to pull Piper towards him. Come in me, come in me now, Piper begged, and he did. He filled her with cum and she moaned out loud a split second before the time machine disappeared with a bright flash in the chamber beyond. Piper collapsed back against him, covered in a thin sheen of sweat and trying to catch her breath. Did it work? She panted. Oh, it worked, he said, holding onto her tightly as he smoothed her damp hair back and kissed her cheek. What now? She asked. We go in my office, pull out the hide-a-bed and get some well-deserved rest he said. And the first thing we're going to do when we wake up is go online. There's a famous painting by Caravaggio you're going to want to see. Why? Piper said. Because you're in it. The end. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. Visit the other channels for more stories with a different focus. Support us on Patreon to make requests for subjects you would love to hear. Thank you to those who have already reached out.